Hey, this is Daryl. Thank you for listening to the Total Soccer Show. We've got a Premier League preview for you today. The Premier League is back. It kicks off Wednesday, June 17th with Villa versus Sheffield United and Man City versus Arsenal. Then on Friday, we've got Norwich against Southampton and Spurs versus Man United. And then all kinds of games on Saturday and Sunday. And then they just keep on coming from there. Taylor and I will both be watching these games via today's sponsor, Fubo TV. Fubo is an over-the-top TV provider where the family plan includes BN, TUDN, Fox Sports, CBS, Fox, NBC and NBC Sports, which is where all the Premier League action is going to be. The family plan also includes 500 hours of cloud DVR. Mine is half full and I've been recording all kinds of games every week. So much Weston McKenney on my DVR. Fubo also provides a seven day free trial. So if you are Premier League curious, you can sign up and get the seven day free trial right now. When those seven days are about to be up, Fubo will send you a reminder. They're not trying to trick you into getting a long term subscription. They're just really confident that once you try the seven day free trial, you'll think this is a thing I need. The family plan is only $50 a month, which is much more affordable than other cable providers. And once again, NBC Sports is included. So with the Premier League coming back, Fubo TV will not disappoint. Go to Fubo, F-U-B-O dot TV slash TSS today and start your free seven day trial. You won't regret it. I don't regret it. I still use it. That's Fubo TV slash TSS and start your free trial today. Thank you to Fubo for sponsoring today's show. Speaking of which, on with the show. And welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove and I'm joined by a man who's ready for some Premier League action. His name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello. I am indeed. It's been fun to read about it. It's been exciting to get more acquainted, but I am now ready for kickoff. I feel like I've had um, like a like I was Neo in the Matrix and I've had a memory yeah. download um, and like I, I don't know Kung Fu, but I do now remember what was happening in the Premier League. <laughs> well, OK, I want to start there for a moment, though, because first of all, I agree with that analogy. Well done, my friend. But second yeah. of all, did you I will find- fight Larry Fishburne? <laughs> you call him Larry. You guys are you guys are buddies. Um <laughs> Did you find it difficult to sort of like figure out where you were with some of these teams? Because so many of the things I read or watched or heard relied heavily on what was happening when the when this break went into effect, when the sort of suspension of play happened. And so it was a lot of like, they've won their last five. Will they continue that form? And that feels sort of completely unnecessary at this point. Like, I know you and I tend to like disregard yeah. historical records, but in this case, I'm having a hard time even thinking that stuff that happened in January or February is really going to matter that much right now. I think it depends on the size of the picture, right? If someone was in like a, a tiny run of form, like two or three games winning... Um, then I'm not sure you can count that with a three-month break or however long it's been, roughly a three-month break, right? But I do look at, for example, um, say Manchester United. I'm sure we'll talk about Manchester United at some point. Um, Since they signed Bruno Fernandes, they've looked a a much, much better team. I do count that, right? So I do count, for example, Manchester United's 10-game unbeaten streak with Bruno Fernandes at the centre of it. 
I think that counts. Uh, but I don't think like a couple of games won on the bounce um, in early March counts. Okay. Is that, is that fair? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think I'm just sort of looking at this as with what you've said in mind of like some things I'm still incorporating, but I'm almost seeing it as like a new season within yeah. the context of being in the middle of a season. <laughs> Oh, I mean, it's so weird, right? Mm-hmm. For for everyone involved, this is going to be an odd, odd, odd situation. Yeah. Um, for those who are really, really like just freshening up on this and maybe haven't been paying attention, Premier League is back. Every game is going to be televised. It's going to be staggered all over the place. It starts Wednesday, June seventeenth, uh, with uh, Villa versus Sheffield United and uh, Manchester City versus Arsenal. Have I got those home teams right? I always mess up the home teams, Taylor. I, think I got it right. Is. Villa at home, Man City at home. There you go. But, no fans. No there fans. will be no fans. You may get some crowd noise on your broadcast. You may have the option to turn it off with secondary audio programming. Um, and there's going to be all kinds of um, interesting things happening. Like there are five subs can be made, for example. You can have nine subs on the bench when it was previously um, only seven. Um, there's still VAR. VAR is still around. And for the first uh, match day, every player will have Black Lives Matter on the back of their jersey. That's like a thing it. worth noting because mm-hmm. that that is not something we would have predicted back in March, right? Uh, no, <laughs> I don't. I don't think that we would have done that. No. So, are you ready to um, to get into it, Taylor? To offer people things things to watch out for, things we're excited for, little refreshers on what to watch for when the Premier League kicks off on Wednesday. I think I am, but I think as as with any sort of uh, competitive game, competitive fixture, you want to warm up a little bit. Daryl, I have a warm up question for you that <laughs> leads into this. Ryan and I on the on the weekend review talked a little bit about how we are getting uh, the the crowd noise, such as it is, uh, pumped in on the broadcast in La Liga in Serie A as well. Uh, my question for you is would you like to see that be slightly more realistic and i know this sounds jokey it is but i'm also kind of serious because we talked about like gareth bale were he playing at the santiago bernabeu would probably get booed like should we boo (laughs) gareth bale should there be whistles when Jorginho has the ball if chelsea are playing at home like should it be that level of uh accurate I mean, that's too much. Uh, it's too much responsibility to put on the uh, the mixing board operator, right? To have him booing, to have him booing players. I just, it to he. I just like the idea of like like we talked about this uh, with the Dusseldorf game. The Dusseldorf were at home, and the the person in charge of the audio had the fa- the fans quote unquote whistling. Like it was near the end of the game. Obviously, Erling Holland scores in like the ninety fourth, ninety fifth minute. Uh, but then, so it was like the fans whistling for the game to be over. But then when he scored, it was as though the whole stadium were cheering, which wouldn't have been the case if if he scored at Dusseldorf. Yeah. So I almost want it to be the absence of sound, like just complete dead silence when the away team scores. I think they should go that route with it. <laughs> I've I've definitely come around to the idea that I will tolerate the mm-hmm. the fake crowd noise, which is going to be drawn from like the the FIFA video game, right? Yes, for I the think so. for the Premier League. I still don't like it though because I think it gives a false reality. Because what the thing I've realised is the players aren't hearing what you're hearing. So you know you might see like mm-hmm. normally players do have a reaction to the crowd, right? Like people will talk about how at Liverpool the players will you know the Anfield crowd will get behind them in the 70th minute and it pushes them on kind of thing. It, it's not really there, right? So I think you're you're sort of got um is, is the phrase cognitive dissonance mm-hmm. where the, the things things don't match, and I, that concerns me a little bit. That when I'm watching the broadcast, what I'm seeing and hearing is not really what I'm seeing and hearing. Well, if you played FIFA, that wouldn't be a concern because the FIFA the FIFA commentators are so often at odds with what's happened that you'll score a goal from 40 yards out, and they'll be like, "Oh, a fairly routine goal there." And it's like, "What? No, it was not." So maybe <laughs> they can just kind of bring that in into the equation, and then it will feel more at home. 
maybe to bring this full circle, uh, Lawrence Fishburne could offer me a red pill and a blue pill. <laughs> and one of the pills turns off the crowd noise. You've gone formal now. You've moved away from Larry and back to Lawrence. Yeah. yeah All right. Yeah. All right. He, so he won the Kung Fu fight. He said, you better call me Lawrence from now on. Well, while we're on the subject of Lawrence Fish- Fishburne, I love Lawrence Fishburne, but while we're on the subject of sounds and crowd noise, we should also talk about music because that was another thing that uh, has been doing the rounds on social media today. There will be walk on music. There will also be music for substitutions and then key moments such as uh, goals. When goals are scored, players will be afforded the opportunity to have individual music for goal celebrations. Daryl, are you so into this idea? It. They choose it, yeah. So yeah. I'm really interested in who chooses what. And we're going to pick out some songs that we think players will choose when they sub in mm-hmm. or when they score. Um, actually, before we go ahead, if you are one of those people that listens to the Total Sock Show for tactical stuff, don't worry, I've got a bunch of that later on. Okay, yeah, me too, me too. <laughs> uh, but right now, I want to start off with, uh, I think Marcus Rashford should be allowed to have God Save the King play because that <laughs> describes him now. <laughs> Brilliant. So if people don't know the news, um, Marcus Rashford has essentially mounted a one-man campaign to have school meals extended in the UK. So if people don't know about this, um, if you're if you're low-income, you go to school, you get a free meal, right, while you're at school. Um, during coronavirus, because kids haven't been going to school, the government has been providing subsidies for families uh, to be able to still provide meals for kids at home, right? But because the official school term is ending soon, even though no one's been in school, the government was going to cancel that program, right? So families who were using that money um, to feed their kids would suddenly be cut off from that money. Marcus Rashford mounted a one-man campaign to persuade Boris Johnson, basically, uh, to do a U-turn on that policy. And now those families will continue Mm. to get that money through the summer, all thanks to Marcus Rashford. So you're right. He is the king. He is the king. I enjoyed that. I love making some Marcus Rashford. Uh, So I I have a Rashford goal celebration as well. I, I had two options for him. Depending on you know how political he's feeling, um, he could go with "Fight the Power" by Public Enemy. I had that exact same song. <laughs> I had it for a different player, but I have the exact same song. <laughs> or he could just go with "Food Glorious Food" from the musical Oliver. That's outstanding. <laughs> <laughs> ah, yes, the musical Oliver. I'm sure that's that's front and center on Marcus Rashford's playlist. <laughs> I had "Fight the Power" for Christian Pulisic to show solidarity, but uh, nice. yeah, I think either way it works. I'm glad that we both went the same direction on that one. I actually, I don't know what he will do, but I'll guarantee that Christian Pulisic will show solidarity. He mm. was in the Weston McKenney video. Yes, he was. Uh, yes, I would expect nothing less from him. Uh, Zito on Twitter was arguing that there has to be at least something from the Attitude Era of the WWE. I would agree with that. Someone needs to come out to either Stone Cold's uh, theme song or Degeneration generation X uh, because it, you can use that music when, like, if your tag team partner is getting beaten up in the ring and then they'll play the music and then the, like, support wrestler runs out to, to defend his friend, defend his partner. Well, you can have that here. That's basically what a substitute is, right? So if you're being overwhelmed by an attacking player and you're a defender and you can't handle it, then when the sub comes in, it should be like the, uh, your partner in wrestling coming in to save you at the last minute. And what's the song again? I missed it. Uh, the, the, you could either go with the Stone Cold Steve Austin entrance, because I do love me some Stone Cold, or D-Generation X, which is just great because it begins with, like, are you ready? And it's, it's a good one. It's a good one. I think um, I just I'm not familiar with either of those pieces of music, but I'm guessing uh, listeners will be. I almost uh, sent you a video of Degeneration X coming out, except that the only one is from like a recent one where they come out on a tank, and it felt at odds with the current inv- current situation. <laughs> so I was going to leave that one out. I'm sure we're going to talk about Paul Pogba later mm-hmm. when we talk Manchester United. I've got a feeling, and I've I've heard some reporting that Pogba won't be starting initially. Um, 
I think, though, that Pogba is going to make some substitute entrances into some Manchester United games, and I want him to come on to forgot about Dre. Why, why that one? Because guess who's back? Tell your <laughs> okay. friends. Okay. I was, I was running through, like, is there an Andre on the team? Are we supposed to be forgetting about somebody? I see what you've done here. I it's like more it. about the guess who's back. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, that feels like a thing he would do. I feel like he would yeah. be clever. I, I was trying to think of songs that were like, I want to leave or something like that. I, I, maybe he throws those in, too, just so you <laughs> can get, like, every aspect of his current emotional state. I'm also probably showing my age, right? Paul Pogba might be too young to even care what Eminem was doing and what Dr. Dre was doing. It's a worrying thing that I was definitely confronted with, that a lot of my choices were things that I feel like a 19-year-old is probably not jamming to. Did you know they kept making music after 2005? I'm continually shocked by the fact that this happened. Uh, I think if that's your reference, I think they took a break from like 1997 until 2005. (laughs) And then music came back. I feel feel like that's kind of the way it went. Uh, I do have a couple more for you. Uh, I would not mind. uh, If I were coming out, I would go with uh, Hip Hop by Dead Prez, uh, which is what Dave Chappelle used to come out to. That's always a good uh, slow motivation song. I like that one. And then... I think Liverpool should be obligated to play Raining Blood by Slayer because it is heavy metal football. Heavy metal football. It does seem like the kind of – it gives you the vibe for how they play, which is aggressive, in-your-face, intimidating, and at the end of the day you feel sort of overwhelmed and defeated by the end of the song. So I think that's how it should go for, uh, for any opponent and for Liverpool scoring goals. So you sent me that song earlier by uh-huh. Slayer so I could have a listen and have some context for uh-huh. this. Um, I pictured them after they'd scored – there are still some uh, guidelines. The Premier League has the guidelines that mm-hmm. you can download to take a look at. They're not banned from celebrating together, but it's encouraged that they celebrate goals um, in, a, in a physically distanced kind of yep. way. I pictured Mane, Firmino and Salah, all of like a couple, like, you know, six feet apart, all headbanging and jumping up and down oh, to yeah. that Slayer song. Mm-hmm. And it worked for me. I can tell you it worked for me. I can picture Klopp headbanging to that one and yes. re- really enjoying it as well. <laughs> and doing some air guitar. Why not? <laughs> um, any more? Or should we move on to something more tactic Taylor? I mean, I have one more. I'll share it with you. It's, uh, do. Di- I think I shared it with you as well before we recorded. It's Divine uh, singing Shoot Your Shot, which feels yes. appropriate. Shoot Your Shot. If you score a goal, you should rock that one. But it's like, it's good new wave. It's got a dance track to it. I love me some Divine, the inspiration for Ursula, Ursula the sea witch. What more do you need? <laughs> What more do you need? I thought there was going to be a player who continually shot from the top of the box who was going to be encouraged to shoot their shot. Ooh. I don't know who that should be. Who, who is good from, from, from distance but doesn't score that many goals? I mean, Paul Pogba keeps trying it. All right. <laughs> Let's go with that. <laughs> does, Why not? Right? I mean, and that does feel like a, you know, shoot your shot. Take a chance. Why not? Yeah. yeah I think that's Paul Pogba. <laughs> I'm sure. I like that we began this by saying like, oh, he probably doesn't listen to Eminem. I'm pretty sure he doesn't listen to like a new wave disco track from the early, early 80s or late 70s. I doubt you that's don't in know. his repertoire. He might, have right seen, he might have seen every John Waters movie. Yeah, as well. That is possible. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what about right. you, Daryl? Let's move on from music. What are you, uh, what are you up for? I think here's the thing people should be looking mm. out for. Um, a fresh look for Manchester City. Right. That's what I think is going to happen. I think Pep knows that he's not Manchester City are not winning the title, mm-hmm. right? But they've got, what, 10 games, um, and Pep goes full tilt, full time, right? Pep Guardiola never sends out teams to just take it easy. And they've got, in the distance, there's uh, strong rumours, I think it will be confirmed tomorrow, Wednesday, that the Champions League is going to happen as like a all-at-once tournament in just a couple of locations in August. So I think we're going to have um, the Champions League in Lisbon in August. That's, that's what looks like happening. So he's essentially got 10 games to perfect Manchester City and let them have one last big go at the Champions League. 
because they also might be banned from the Champions League for two yep. years after this, right? So it's really a last chance kind of thing. I also, so I think Pep's going to maybe experiment with some things that he's been wanting to do with City for a while. And it'll be a slightly new look, things you haven't seen before, Manchester City team that's sort of cranked up and getting ready to go at the Champions League. Um, and here's the thing I think you'll see. Um, Imeric Laporte is back, right? He is now fully fit, he is, or at least fully uninjured. <laughs> Um, I think he's going to go Laporte, Stones and Kyle Walker in a pacey back three. Mm. That's what I think we're going to see from Manchester City. Why are you excited about that? Or why do you think that's what we'll see? Because it's what we haven't had for a while, right? Mm-hmm. They've had, say, Fernandinho playing centre-back, who doesn't have the pace to, uh, to cover in behind him. I think um, Manchester City were waiting forever to get Laporte back because, because uh, of those injuries. Do you remember they rushed him back to play mm-hmm. against Real Madrid in the first leg of the Champions League? So much so that he got injured really early on. Um, I, I think it's actually to Man City's advantage that he's had time, Laporte's had time to properly recover. And then the other guy that's back is Leroy Sané. Leroy Sané is right. fit and ready to play, as I understand. And I know there's possibly, you know, a move to Bayern Munich or whatever in the future. But if you've got a fit Leroy Sané, and, you know, there's all the pictures of him in first team training. So he's definitely part of the first team and ready to go. I think it is a much more exciting and much more threatening Manchester City um, when it's like almost back to the old ways, right? With Leroy Sané on the left and Raheem Sterling on the right. And then that pacey back three. I, I'm suddenly quite excited to see what Guardiola is doing with Manchester City. So I think we have the answer to the question I'm about to ask you already, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Because with Man City, I found, I found it really difficult to sort of crystallize my thoughts because I'm of two minds here, and I'd like to know which one you think is more likely. I can't tell if, like, if this were an election. Would the slogan for Pep Guardiola and Man City right now be one last shot, or would it be like onward towards the future? As in, is this Pep Guardiola thinking... I want to win the Champions League with Man City. I want to kind of cement my role there. Then if that ban does happen, if maybe the squad is looking a little bit tired, some of the players are maybe long in the tooth, I'll move on, I'll take my sabbatical. Or do you think this is him sort of putting himself in a position where they can have that strong run, they can maybe make a deep run of the Champions League, but then he does have new looks and new ideas for the offseason to bring in a couple more players and then sort of rejuvenate that squad and pick it up next year? The answer is we'll find out in July. Mm-hmm. Right. So the you know so people may know that Manchester City right now have a two year ban from the Champions League for breaking financial fair play rules. Right. Mm. They appealed to the Court of Arbitration for Sport to CAS. Um, that appeal was heard June eighth to June tenth. Right. So that appeal has happened. We just don't know what happened in the appeal, and the verdict is expected in early July. So essentially, in the middle of this project restart mini Premier League campaign that's happening. We'll find out whether Manchester City are mm-hmm. gearing up for their last possible look at the Champions League for another three years, um, and then that deter or not, right? And that will determine Pep's future, I think, because he has one more year to go on his contract. Um, he may go longer if that Champions League ban doesn't happen, right? So we'll really find out in July whether this is Pep's last chance at the Champions League with Man City. But it does sound like you're sort of assuming that he will take the approach of, but we've got stuff to fight for. We got to make this happen, even yeah. if the title is gone. So I'm going to try new things. Because I, yeah. I honestly was sort of thinking, maybe after a couple games, if they come out and they get a win, but they don't look that comp- like com- like uh, compelling, and then they get a draw, like is that a sign that they're actually not that bought in and Pep Guardiola is sort of checked out? Well, that's, but that's not how Pep works, is it? Right, mm-hmm. while Pep's there, Pep is going full tilt. And Pep has the Champions League to aim for this August, no matter mm-hmm. what happens um, in the next two years. So I expect Manchester City to be at, you know, cranked up to 100%. All right, cranked up to 11? All the way to 11, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, do you remember how exciting Leroy Sané was? Uh, yes, the I do. The man is 
absolutely unstoppable. He can twist and turn um, at a higher pace than I think anyone else in the Premier League, including Adama Traore. Um, like the way that he like cuts and like destroys people, it's going to be terrifying for some poor right backs to see Leroy Sané back out there. Yeah, I mean, unless we forget, like the other player who I think is is as good at that or nearly as good as that is Raheem Sterling, who will be on the other yes. side. So uh, we go back to that return of the, the the two of them, very wide, very fast, low crosses in. I'm going to talk a bit about low crosses and success uh, rates there, like that relate to those crosses later on. But yeah, I think that will be a key part of Man City's and- attacking success in the remainder and- of the season. Here's a final point on this. Without Leroy Sané, Manchester City have reverted, well, not reverted, they've this year adopted a quite, the quite weird approach of having um, inverted-footed wingers, right? Mm-hmm. So you've had the right-footed Raheem Sterling mostly playing on the left, and you've had the left-footed Riyad Mahrez mostly playing on the right. But in the old days, when Leroy Sané was fit, it was the other way around. It was a left-footed Sané on the left and a right-footed Sterling on the right, and it was more effective. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think we might see a return to that as well. So that's why I'm excited to see the old Manchester City come back and probably steamroll some teams. All right. All right. I'm excited for that. I'm excited to get to the next thing I think people should keep an eye on if you're ready yeah, for that. I'm ready. All right. So I alluded to the like, like, like the importance of crossing uh, because I watched a video by Statman Dave on YouTube who was talking about basically what oh, lessons... Oh, I've seen we, him. He's good, right? He is very good. And he was talking about what we can take from the Bundesliga and its reopening because we have a larger sample size there. Sort of some of the trends that have happened and the successes therein and how maybe those will correspond to the Premier League. And one thing he was pointing out is basically you've had the two most consistent teams have been Bayern Munich and Hertha Berlin. One of those is more surprising than the other. And a key part for both of them has been that they both counterpress and they both like to cross. So they'll put you under pressure, but then they'll play those low balls in, they'll get numbers in there. And they're not relying on lots of intricate passing sequences. So thinking about that does make me feel like Leroy Sané and Raheem Sterling will be very good at sort of getting the ball, going at defenses, crossing it low, finding somebody in the box. The other team, I think, could be very good when you think about they can press, but then they can sit back and hit, hit you on the counter very quickly. It's Wolves. And I think there's mm-hmm. a decent argument that Wolves could have a strong restart to the 2019-2020 season. I mean, please tell me more. I'm always excited to hear about how Wolves are going to have a strong start. Because it, it goes to like my ideas with RB Leipzig, that if you have this very complex like, passing system of transition to attack, transition to defense, and, and you, you sort of want to work the ball around, you want to establish possession dominance, it can be hard. You've got to get everybody back into the flow and everybody back up to speed. Wolves, not, not trying to be dismissive, but as we've talked about previously, like, they can hit you on the break and they can be destructive on the break through those kind of quick like, uh, interplay, interpasses, uh, Raul Jimenez being very, very good, Adama Traore being very fast and physical, as we've talked about but also just very technical on the ball and yeah, don't think, you underestimate adama Traore's uh, dribbling skills oh don't worry i'm not going with the the pace and power analogy here because he does have those but then he has the ability to stop on a dime like fool you with a scissor cut back inside shoot if he wants to find a sort of reverse pass into a channel for somebody else who's made a run in but i think the sort of those individual abilities and that they can like, combine quickly if they want to but they can also kind of beat you with outright pace could could give Wolves that attacking advantage because I think they'll have some of that defensive uh, solidarity that we have seen at times from them. So that's why I'm I'm optimistic about them. And I think the other reason is because a lot of the talking points I have heard are about other teams, and they feel a little bit like they're being overlooked uh, in favor of yeah. some of the more traditionally stronger teams. So for those who don't know, Wolves are in sixth place. The big thing for Wolves is to try and finish 
maybe in fourth or fifth, right? Mm-hmm. They're only a few points. They're a couple of points behind Man United, uh, five points behind Chelsea. Finishing in the top four is not impossible if they absolutely kill it um, for the last nine games of the season. Finishing fifth might be worth a Champions League spot exactly. if Manchester City do get that Champions League ban. Um, even if not, it would still be big for Wolves to finish in the Europa League spot. So Wolves still have a lot to play for. They're going to be really, really um, up for it, I believe. And I agree with you that Wolves tactical system is pretty simple and effective right yeah. pretty That's simple and effective yeah. thank yeah. you for saying it succinctly yes <laughs> it's what i'm here for Taylor. That's what I'm here for. um i have a wolf thing Please. um i think a thing to watch out for is you're going to finally see more of the wolf squad so one of <laughs> wolves successful things of the past couple of years is nuno has kept the first team squad in terms of who actually makes it onto the field really really small and really really tight very few injuries and a lot of um a lot of attention paid to sports science and nutrition and quick recovery times for players and it's been really effective but you can't do that for this accelerated premier league uh season right for these like nine games crushed into uh, just over you know a month or so mm-hmm. um so i think you're going to see more of the wolves t- uh, wolves squad because you've got those uh nine subs to choose from and five subs can make it onto the field and i think part of that is going to be we see a premier league debut for us under 20 international owen otasoi owen otasoi Yes. I like those moments. He's 19 years old. He can play centre-back. I think he's more likely to play sort of central defensive midfield for Wolves, which is, you know, again, there's not a massive amount of depth. You think of the Wolves midfield, you see uh, Ruben Neves, you see Jao Martinho, you sometimes see Leon Dandanka, and then you occasionally maybe see Morgan Gibbs-White, right? So it's not as if there's a million players in front of him for Owen Atosoi to make it onto the field. He's already made a debut in the Europa League in December against Besiktas. And I've been clicking through Wolves' first-team training photos, and Owen Atasoi is in there. So he is part of the first-team squad right now, and he did appear for the second half of a warm-up friendly against Birmingham City in the past week. So we're going to have another American to be excited about, and he's going to be on my team. And so just as a Wolves fan and a US fan, that has me really excited. Um, Also, I look forward to seeing uh, Leonardo Campana, uh, the Ecuadorian striker who was so good at the U20 World Cup. But um, Americans aren't as interested in that, right? Not too much, no. Did you go through, (laughs) did you click through first team training uh, images for every team or just for Wolves? Honestly, for Wolves and for Chelsea to see Ah. how involved Christian Pulisic was. Ooh, okay. Should we move to him or do you have more to say about Wolves? Let's do it. Let's talk Christian Pulisic and then let's take an ad break. All right, let's do that. Uh, Because uh, in talking about Chelsea, I want to talk about Christian Pulisic and I want to talk about whether or not he'll be able to take advantage of the break to sort of cement his spot because we do know Chelsea are already investing. We have uh, Hakim Zayesh coming in. We have Timo Werner. Uh, I don't know if that is yet confirmed, but both of them are basically confirmed. Uh, Yes, and I can add this bit of detail. Both of them will sort of officially sign for Chelsea Mm -hmm. like during this Premier League season, but they cannot play until next season. Right. So even they'll sort of arrive and you'll see them in a Chelsea jersey. Um, you know, they'll be officially Chelsea players, I think, on July 1st. Um, they, they cannot play until next season. Mm-hmm. And so we had this conversation about how much does that impact uh, Christian Pulisic. I think you were slightly more concerned than I was. One thing that we didn't really consider is the idea that Frank Lampard could go, and I heard uh, uh, a Chelsea uh, pundit talking about this or a Chelsea uh, journalist talking about this, that we could see them in a 4-4-2 with Abraham and Timo Werner, and it's a, it's a more mo- mobile attack force there. Um, and that would then mean maybe they do go with like an out-and-out left midfielder 
and a right midfielder, and I think Christian Pulisic could do that. But I wonder if we see some of that experimentation at a time when it seems like Pedro is going to be on the way out. Last I heard, Willian wanted more years than they were willing to offer, so it seems like he could be on his way out. So it does feel like now would be the time for Pulisic to come back, have that rest, be fully healthy, and really show why Chelsea spent the money they did to bring him in and to justify that selection so that this time next year, or ideally <laughs> this summer, <laughs> when yeah. when we have the next season kicking off, we'll have Christian Pulisic as a, if not guaranteed starter, very much a first choice option consistently. Yeah, and I think us as US fans, we should not be coming at this from a place of fear. Mm-hmm. We should be coming at this and watching Christian Pulisic from a place of excitement, right? Absolutely. Um, my Wolves fandom aside, your Man United fandom aside, because we probably want our teams to get the Champions League spots. Well, there is. Right? That. Yeah. But right now, Chelsea are in fourth place, mm-hmm. right? They have nine games to go, and Christian Pulisic has the opportunity to be a huge part of Chelsea getting that Champions League spot for next season and if he does play a huge role in doing that then it just strengthens his hand strengthens his position in terms of where he is in the pecking order of what looks like it's going to be a stacked Chelsea front line it sure does uh, going into next year but there's no reason to be scared there's no reason that we shouldn't think Christian Pulisic will just be one of the top Chelsea attackers and you know Ziyech and Werner and everybody else and Mason Mount will have to be thinking about how they can displace Christian Pulisic Mm -hmm. Yeah, but what I would really like to see them with that in mind is not sort of panic when he doesn't start or panic if he only comes on as a substitute, but to see what he's doing, to see if there are differences from uh, the the resumption of play to, say, when he was there, like early early in last season. It's still the same season. I'm very confused by that. (laughs) Uh, When we saw him in August and September and October, like, do we see him doing different things? Has he adjusted more? Has he developed his game? Is he he doing what Frank Lampard is asking? Do we get those comments about, like, oh, he's not quite there yet. He's not quite where we need him to be but he's developing he's improving or do we hear feedback that is he's doing exactly what I'm asking he's worked his socks off in training I I don't even have to worry about him like if we get those sorts of comments I think we can see the development of the player and that's definitely a thing I want to track so part of my research for this Tyler I did a little Christian Pulisic season so far Mm -hmm. retrospective right so just I think this is a good recap for listeners and for us who are interested in what Christian Pulisic does at Chelsea right you're editing this I'm gonna need you to score this to classical music okay (laughs) I will is it? It's royalty free usually, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the copyright's normally expired, right? <laughs> uh, so here's the big thing. When Remember the start of the season, we were all worried because Pulisic wasn't in the starting 11 or wasn't getting that many minutes. There was the big quote from Lampard about how he was concerned about fatigue because right. Pulisic had gone and played in the Gold Cup and then reported early for training and he didn't want to burn him out, right? So th- we didn't need to panic early in the season. Lampard was working him into the team. And then, good as his word, Lampard started starting Christian Pulisic around October, November. And Pulisic got hot, right? He had that hat trick against Burnley. He had, then he followed it up with goals against Watford and Crystal Palace. Christian Pulisic really was firing for about six weeks, seven weeks there, right? And he was doing that thing that Pulisic does so well, which is he's on the left wing, he receives the ball, and he's so good at like carrying the ball into the box and creating really dangerous attacking situations. He was also really good at arriving in the box from that left wing and being in and around the six-yard box and scoring goals. Even headers, he even scored a header against Burnley. So Pulisic has already shown what he's capable of. Then he got that injury. It's really worth remembering that the reason we didn't see him from essentially after January 1st, all the way up until the coronavirus break, Pulisic got an adductor injury that was pretty serious. And it's taken him a long time to get fit again, right? So the story of Pulisic's early season is possible fatigue, then a hot spot, 
and then an adductor injury. Right. Um, and again, I've done my research, done my research. Uh, Pulisic on May 15th, so a month ago, told the Chelsea website, I've given myself time to rest now and make sure that I'm 100% fit. I'd say I'm fully recovered and ready to go as soon as we get back. So we can expect finally a fully fit, fully rested Christian Pulisic. And I am ready to watch that happen. I am ready to watch that happen as well. Uh, I am also ready to talk about today's sponsor. If oh, you're ready to I'm do not that though. As well. I'm oh. not. I just want to. I've got a couple more Chelsea things to hit mm-hmm. just while we're on Chelsea, right? So we don't have to to come back. Do you remember Angola Conte was worried about um, coronavirus stuff because he'd had a mm-hmm. history of heart conditions in his family, and he basically didn't want to risk it. Um, Angola Conte has now joined Chelsea first team training. He just joined a couple weeks later than everybody else. Mm -hmm. So N'Golo Conte will be part of the Chelsea squad, but he probably won't start from the very beginning, right? So that's just worth knowing about N'Golo Conte. Also, this is very England perspective, but he's also one of my favourite players. Can you guess who's back, Taylor? Uh, I I have no idea, Daryl. Who could you possibly be talking about? I'm trying to think of somebody who it obviously is not, just to annoy you. you, So are you joking, or do you not know who I'm about to say? I, I know who you're about to say. It's Ruben Loftus-Cheek. Oh, it's not. I was wrong. I thought it was going to be Callum Hudson-Odoi. My mistake. Oh, no. All no. right. That, so, so Ruben Loftus-Cheek is back from that injury he picked up, I believe, in the United States. Wasn't he playing on turf in a, yeah, in a friendly in the US and was going to be out for the whole season? But now he's got a second chance. I'm a huge fan of Ruben Loftus-Cheek. I think he's a great player. I forgot I think about the RLC. The Chelsea midfield. Yeah. Callum Hudson-Odoi had some allegations against him. Um, the police have said no action is going to be taken. So Callum Hudson-Odoi mm-hmm. will be available for Chelsea. That's worth noting. Um, final thing I want to note about Chelsea. I've just over-researched Chelsea, um, basically. Yeah. That's fine. I watched a lot of footage from first-team training. To me, Willian looked like the best player. So even though he's going to be out of contract June 30th, as is Pedro, and they may, they may not be able to play beyond their contracted days, right? Beyond June 30th. But he definitely looked like he was uh, firing on all cylinders from the training footage that I saw from Willian. So just because he's probably leaving, don't expect that you won't see Willian um, shooting his shot from distance. He's maybe the best one to do it, right? Shoot your shot. Shoot your shot, Willian. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, again, get that that three-year contract. Yeah, that's the thing is the issue with him is not about form. It's about the length of the contract. So he could yeah. play, play incredibly. I guess if he plays incredibly, maybe they'll give it to him. But otherwise, yeah, I think even if he, if he comes out and, and does okay, I'm less concerned about Willian. Although, uh, as a Manchester United fan, suddenly that midfield looking even more stacked than it already did, which is really, really impressive for a team that weren't allowed to sign players. <laughs> and if you're looking for a first Chelsea game, they are away to Aston Villa. Uh, this coming Sunday, 11.15 a.m. kickoff. That's going to be, hopefully, Pulisic o'clock, either yes. from the start or off the bench. All right, Taylor, you said today's first sponsor. Mm-hmm. Who is today's first sponsor? It's Manscaped. Uh, Manscaped. Yes, it is. We've talked about many, many times Man- Manscaped provides you with many good products to keep your situation down south groomed and put together. <laughs> uh, and you can utilize the Lawnmower 3.0 uh, to, to handle that one. The ceramic blade and skin safe technology allow you to uh, trim the hair, keep things organized and neat without the risk of any sort of injury. And if this is your first time listening to the Total Soccer Show and you don't know what we're talking about, we're talking about your man bits. We're talking yeah, about we your are. man parts. That's what <laughs> uh-huh. the Lawnmower 3.0 um, is there to take care of. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we also have other products like since we are now in June and it's going to be very, very hot and continue to be very, very hot. There's the Crop Preserver, which is an anti-chafing deodorant uh, that ensures your afternoon stroll will not be ruined by the heat. They also have a Crop Reviver, <laughs> which is a spray-on uh, toner that it combines soothing aloe and witch hazel extracts. 
I never know what Witch Hazel is, but it sounds cool, uh, that give you a little bit of a boost. So they've got different products that you can utilize uh, when the temperature increases. And the point of the crop preserver is that nothing will stick to anything while, there you you're, go. Out, while you're out for that stroll. Also, shout out to the Weed Whacker for taking care of my nose hair. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. That, we have, we've talked about that before. Nose hair, ear hair, my two biggest fears when it comes to, uh, to aging. So having a, a, a tool that is custom designed to handle both of those, I do appreciate as well. <laughs> so if you want to treat yourself and get 20% off and get free shipping, you use the code TSS20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code TSS20 at manscaped.com. That's right. Your date will thank you, and they'll thank Manscaped. Uh, I should add, Daryl, uh, nose hair, ear hair, not my biggest concern. My biggest concern when it comes to aging is when I crouch down and stand back up, it sounds like my knees are making popcorn. And I don't think that's what they're <laughs> supposed to sound like. Just hold a bowl next to them. Okay. And <laughs> see what happens? Yeah. The answer, something delicious. All right. So we've <laughs> talked about Chelsea. Where should we go next? Um, let's get us going with Manchester United. Okay. Um, um, I've got this down as a refresher. I mentioned it at the top of the show, mm-hmm. but Manchester United are in Manchester United are good now. They're in good form. They've gone ten games unbeaten, and it mostly coincides with signing Bruno Fernandez as the attacking midfielder. Mm-hmm. Add to that that Paul Pogba is back from injury, and again, I've seen photos of him in first team training, so we would expect that he will appear. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to watching Manchester United, and most of it, honestly, is about Bruno Fernandez because I think he gave them. Um, a creative fulcrum, a creative hub to go through, right? So you've got all those exciting, pacey strikers because Ole Gunnar Solskjaer loves to play on the counter-attack and Martial's back from injury. Rashford's hit form. Uh, Greenwood I mean, is Rash- finally Rash- Rashford, starts. lest we forget, had a broken back. Like, he has returned from a broken yes. back to play for this Man United team. So we assume he's healthy again now, right? Yeah. So Rashford is back. Um, he's creating social change in England, and I imagine he's gonna he's gonna sort of be a focal point. Um, I'm, I would almost guarantee that he scores on Friday against Spurs. I mean, I would I would be okay with that. Certainly. Just because he's having a moment. Danny James is still around and still. I know I, I speak ill of him sometimes, but he's still a very exciting player going forward. And what I'm trying to argue is you've got all this pace um, up top. And then you've got Bruno Fernandes, who's essentially the crafty, crafty midfielder, right? And the best example to remind people is when Man United beat Man City 2-0 just before the coronavirus break. You'll remember this goal, Taylor. It was Fernandes with the surprise, quickly taken, chipped free kick that went over the wall and into the path of, I want to say, Martial, um, who smashed it home from a narrow angle. So Man United is suddenly fun again, essentially, and it's all thanks to Bruno Fernandes. You're not wrong. I'm, and, and I think from a neutral standpoint, he's really fun to watch for everything you've mentioned. He's good on set pieces. He takes the penalties. But his vision is excellent. From a Man United fan perspective, the other thing that he has brought is a lot of chemistry. I think he's, he has strong leadership capabilities and I think is a very good locker room presence. If you look at any social media post from a Man United player, he is always commenting or making jokes or he's posting stuff, teasing his teammates. And it seems like he has brought a little liveliness, a little lightheartedness to some of the training sessions, which I think maybe had been lacking previously. Um, The other reason why I am excited is reading more about what Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has been doing. Uh, There was an article for The Athletic when they were sort of uh, publishing some catch-up articles. There was one from last summer about some of the changes Solskjaer was making, including little things like when Man United players were coming in from training, basically the food, uh, they eat the same food that the staff and administrative people eat, and that had been out for like two hours 
hours at a time. So he made changes to make sure that there was like fresh food that they actually needed to eat to help them. And that's just a minor thing because I think, as the article pointed out, uh, slightly off temperature salmon is not why they finished sixth. I love that line. But <laughs> it's a good indicator that Solshire is trying to make all of these little changes that have been put off basically since Ferguson. Some of them were done under Van Hall, but it seems like he is taking a much broader approach with an eye towards being there long term. And it sounds like some, if not all, of the squad have bought in. That is what I am going to be keeping an eye on and what I think will be fascinating is what happens with Paul Pogba. You yeah. mentioned he might not start. I think there's a chance he does. That might just be wishful thinking. But he has... I think to to some degree uh, publicly and then I think a lot degree privately made it clear he wanted to leave. I expected him to leave this past summer. He did not. And I do think that if uh, United continue to, to play well and their form continues, I think he is going to like put his head down, work hard, be a, a, a key contributor to them. And maybe that does sort of cement him there for at least another season, if not longer. But if things go south, if that, that form dips off, if Bruno Fernandes gets hurt and Rashford can't score and things go south again we may see sort of frustrated, sad Paul Pogba again. So which one we get at the end of the season, happy Paul Pogba who's dancing or sad Paul Pogba who doesn't want to be there anymore? Uh, definitely keep an eye on that. So my memory of Manchester United's midfield is that they sort of finally got it figured out, right? Yeah. And again, it's because of Bruno Fernandes. He was always part of it. And I know Man United play various shapes, but most of the shapes involve three central midfielders, yeah. right? And it was often a defensive midfielder, either McTominay or Matic, um, and then it was uh, Fred, who's the other guy. So you would call McTominay or Matic the six, like the defensive six. And then Fred finally had a role where he was more bucks to bucks. And I think hit the form of his life, or at least the form of his Manchester United life, yeah. where I suddenly really saw him as a key part of um, being involved everywhere, being involved defensively, connecting things to the attack. And then Bruno Fernandes is more just like the pure creative um, attacking mm-hmm. guy. And he's essentially a classic six, eight, ten midfield, right? Um, so... The thing for me is, where does Paul Pogba fit into that? And to me, his best role is probably replacing Fred. But Fred doesn't deserve to be replaced just yet. So what I imagine happening is Solskjaer going with the classic, uh, I'm going to guess McTominay. Oh, McTominay scored that chip against Man City, right? Right at the end of that game. Um, McTominay, Fred, Fernandez, Mm -hmm. And then maybe Pogba's subbing in for Fred or he's subbing in for Fernandez, And he's going to be coming in, playing that Eminem song and just... It's all right, Sorry. it's all right. Ellie agrees, right? Yeah. Um, playing that Eminem song and just contributing for 30 minutes here or there. And eventually he'll get his shot to start, right? But it's not a bad thing to have a motivated Paul Pogba coming off the bench to replace a midfield that's already fully functional. I mean, certainly my dogs agree. Uh, the mail carrier maybe does not. Um, I, I agree with you, Daryl, about uh, Paul Pogba coming in and being that number eight. I, all, I do think it's sort of strange. This goes back to that gap uh, in, in, or the suspension for a coronavirus that, like, yes, Fred had justified that starting position and had been in that form, but we have this huge gap, and it sort of feels like, is it going to reset? And that's, again, where I'm sort of like, maybe they'll stick with him because that was working, but maybe it is sort of like, ah, it's a new season. Paul Pogba comes back in and starts. But I've also seen people argue that Paul Pogba should be the 6 or the 10, and how will he and Bruno Fernandes coexist? And I feel like this is the signing that he was waiting for. I feel like this was the sort of signing that allows Paul Pogba to be freed up to do Paul Pogba things because on his day, he is more or less unplayable. And I think this kind of gives him that license. I take your point that it might be Fred because he established that he can do that job and maybe earned a little bit. And maybe it does also send a message to Paul Pogba that you're not an automatic starter. you got to earn that back. So for those reasons, I wouldn't be surprised if it is Fred over Pogba starting on that first game. But I also would be okay with Paul Pogba being in there as well. 
Here's the thing. Pogba's profile and personality and charisma and, you know, there's a lot of merchandising and marketing behind Paul Pogba, right? Makes you think that he is like a, a Leo Messi-like creative force, right? Yeah. But I think the very best Paul Pogba is the Paul Pogba we saw at the 2018 World Cup, winning it mm-hmm. for France, where he's like a really essential cog in a machine, right? Yeah. Paul Pogba is, to me, like a helper and a connector. And that's why I think that Fred role is much better for him than him trying to do what Bruno Fernandes does, right? Yeah. I think Paul Pogba really is good at essentially teaming up with people. That's what has me excited about a Pogba-Fernandes combo is it's going to be... I'm picturing a lot of like quick one-twos, like two quick-thinking players making things happen mm-hmm. rather than give the ball to Paul Pogba and let's hope he produces something. Because then he is like, to quote that divine song, shooting his shot from the top yeah. of the box. Yeah. And it's just not that pleasing to watch. It's much more pleasing to watch him sort of break up play, play a one-two with Fernandez, and make something happen that way. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And I agree that that was some of the best we saw from Paul Pogba, despite dropping in and sometimes being a right back, because that's what the situation required. Probably no surprise, knowing what we know about Didier Deschamps, but especially after researching that Juve team, that he was just content to do the job, to stay back, to be a cog in the machine. And that is sort of what he expects of his teams. And he gets the best out of Paul Pogba. So maybe, yeah, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer can embrace that a little bit, add a little bit of spice, a little bit of creativity, and we'll see what happens. Let's talk about the champions elect. Sure. Let's talk Liverpool Football Club. Okay. Um, so the thing worth watching for Liverpool is the very basic thing, if you're really unfamiliar. They need six points to win the league. They sure right? do. They need a six-point swing to win the league. So on Wednesday, um, it's going to be Manchester City versus Arsenal. If Arsenal win that game and then Liverpool win away at Everton over the weekend, I think on Sunday... Liverpool will be crown champions, right? If Man City keep dropping points or if the, the season just keeps going on, eventually Liverpool will be crown champions. It, if all these games get played, it is absolutely inevitably going to happen, right? But there is pressure on Liverpool. This is what I find really interesting thinking about this. There is some pressure on Liverpool because there's always the chance that this Premier League season gets halted again if there is some massive coronavirus flare-up, for mm-hmm. example. Right. And, you know, that's a whole separate medical issue that we'd have to talk about in a societal kind of way. But from a football and league table kind of way, Liverpool aren't guaranteed that there's going to be nine games to play in which for them to win the league. So the Mm -hmm. pressure is kind of on to win it as quickly as possible. Do you agree with that or am I just making drama out of nothing? I mean, it's possible it will happen. I, I think that I think Liverpool do win it. I think they win it fairly quickly. Maybe not on that first game, but not that long yeah. afterward. And then at that point, I mean, they've already mathematically won it. I think it doesn't necessarily matter if there is that flare. Yeah, yeah. I guess yeah. To your point, if maybe they don't get the form, they don't get the results they need. Man City do, and then it's a little bit more uh, open ended. Yeah, I think that could be a concern. But I have a feeling they're just going to destroy everybody and be fine. Here's the. Th- I don't disagree, but here's a thing worth remembering. They did. I know this contradicts what I said at the top of the show, but I think it's an exception for Liverpool because they had been just demolishing everybody in front of them for the entire season until they met Troy Deeney. Right? Yes. <laughs> they had Liverpool had a mini wobble just before the break. They lost to Watford in the league. They lost to Chelsea in the FA Cup. They beat Bournemouth, and we maybe thought, okay, all right, little wobble, they're back on track. Then they got knocked out of the Champions League by mm-hmm. Atletico Madrid. Somewhat unfortunate, right? It was actually a good performance by Liverpool, um, that, that game, but they ended up getting knocked out by Atletico Madrid. Things weren't going all that well. And you could even argue that the coronavirus break might, in the long run, have been good for Liverpool because it gave them a chance to, to reset at that point after losing three out of four games. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, b- because... 
the wind wind comes out of the sails when you go from potentially doing like a quadruple to then only being uh, like pursuing that Premier League title. And yeah, like if you have that game against Everton, which would have been the first game, it is is their first game back. Yeah, if that doesn't go well, if it is the the derby, maybe if Everton raise their game, they don't always do that against Liverpool. Then that's <laughs> another one, and suddenly things are uncertain. You've got Man City looming after Crystal Palace. So I take your point. It could have been even more uncertain, even more unstable. But I think yeah, that break you get everybody fresh. Everything I read about Jurgen Klopp is that he's like. Super Super relaxed and very happy and ready to go. It does feel like they're uh, going to hit the ground running, but we shall see. We shall see. They're going to be headbanging to Slayer before. There you we know go. It, before That's what you I want. Um, yeah. I don't have a lot to say about Everton, but maybe now's a good time to mention Everton. Uh, that first game back for both Everton and Liverpool will be Sunday, uh, two o'clock Eastern. Um, it's going to be at Goodison Park. I think I read that just before we started recording that they've confirmed they're not going to move it to a neutral venue. The one thing I'd say about Everton is look out for Richarlison. It's just worth watching out for Richarlison because that man was in good form and he's enjoyable to watch. And the way that Ancelotti has got them set up, he inherited the Duncan Ferguson interim idea of pretty much 4-4-2 and we'll have Dominic Calvert-Lewin partner Richarlison. And it wor- it's worked out for both of them. So mm. I, it's a strike force I really like. I like Calvert-Lewin as a potential future England player. And I just like watching Richarlison because he's an exciting player running at people, making things happen. So that's my only, uh, my only Everton note is, yeah, enjoy that front too. Yeah, and I think we will because I think they will continue to be good. And I have the faith in Carlo Ancelotti, which is my way of saying that one of the things I was interested in with the resumption of the Premier League was which team would be sort of most similar to Schalke, a, a bigger team <laughs> that should be doing better but are sort of in free fall and having lots of issues. Everton were on that list for me, but I think I have a lot of faith in Richarlison, as you do. I think he is that good. And I have faith in Carlo Ancelotti. I think Carlo Ancelotti is just such an experienced and respected manager. Like, like not trying to disrespect David Moyes, they're not at the same level, but like if David Moyes were in charge of Everton, are they a little bit on the beach? Are they sort of like, all right, well, we know he's going to be here next year, like whatever, we're fine, we're good to go. That is sort of a thing that would happen occasionally with them, although David Moyes usually started slow and then they finished strong. So but I, are, you, I th- are you saying Everton will be a Schalke or will not be a Schalke? They will not be. I think because they have some of those players, they do have attacking players that can certainly do things the way Schalke do not, but I think a lot of it is rooted in my respect for Carlo Ancelotti and my... My, my faith that he kind of motivates them, that the players will want to play for him. They're aware that this is a squad that's been assembled over three or four different managers. So yeah. if you want to justify your spot, if you want to make sure that he values you, you're going to have to come out and perform. It's almost the new manager you want to perform for, so yet you're not going to let your performance dip. So I don't I, think they slip that much. I agree. I think there's also, we're in the middle of a Carlo Ancelotti turnaround at Mm -hmm. Everton. So that's going to just keep everybody on their toes and keep everybody invested in really performing over the next few days. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think that's going to, it's one of the things that makes the Premier League interesting is there's a lot of teams that are sort of in mid-table who still have like a weird thing to play for. I mean, Everton, it's not impossible that they make a Europa League spot, right? They're in 12th, but things are pretty tight. They're in 12th on 37 points. Um, Sheffield United are in 7th on 43 points, right? So it's only a Mm -hmm. six-point swing to get into that top seven right now. So it's not impossible. There are things to play for for teams in 12th place. I, I feel strange that Liverpool being as dominant as they've been, having the lead they have, that we, we, we just talked about Everton, I think, longer than we talked about Liverpool. We will get to them later on when we do some quick fire list of questions that we pulled from Twitter. But I think it is also sort of what happens when a team is just that dominant, that we can spend 20 minutes talking about how incredible they are and how exciting it's going to be. And that is the case. But it's sort of hard to talk about that a team, about a team that has been that dominant until they're actually on the field and then we can sing their praises once again. I mean, part of it might be uh, who was talking about Liverpool and how succinct they were. 
<laughs> that could be as well. <laughs> Are we too soon for another ad read? Or I do don't you, think so. You don't think so? Who's up next mm-hmm. then, Taylor? Who's next on the list? I think as, as we've seen in uh, leagues when they've resumed, hydration breaks are important. <laughs> and we could take a hydration break, or our listeners could, while we talk about hydration, because Let's today's episode is brought to you in part by Hydrant. Hydrant creates flavored electrolyte packets you mix directly into your water to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. They have the four essential electrolytes your body needs. That would be sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc, the ever-important zinc. So Hydrant, very kindly, um, mm-hmm. sent us some samples. You've got lime, you've got blood orange, and you've got grapefruit. Um, mm-hmm. I am team lime all the way. Um, and I realized one of the reasons I really, really liked it is um, this is in their copy, but it's just a thing I like. There's no artificial sweeteners. There's just a tiny bit of yep. actual cane sugar mm-hmm. um, in the in the flavor packet. And it does give it just a more a more natural flavor. And I'm not just saying that because they're paying us to say it. I'm saying it because that's what it tastes like. No, I think anything, anytime you know what a thing is, you're going to feel better about consuming it. And yeah, it's why I try to drink like a Mexican Coca-Cola, Mexican Fanta, Mexican Sprite, because you've got real sugar. I know what high fructose corn syrup is. Like I know it is a substance, but in terms of what goes into it and how it's made and that whole production process, I'm a little bit scared. I'll go with real sugar <laughs> instead. So I agree with you. That is a definitely a beneficial feature. So cane sugar and then the electrolytes, uh, sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc, as Taylor said. Um, Hydrant starts for just a dollar a packet for a 30-day supply, and you can save even more with a monthly subscription. But if you want to save 25% off your first order, Taylor Rockwell, you would go to drinkhydrant.com slash soccer. That's drinkhydrant.com slash soccer for 25% off your first order. One more time, drinkhydrant.com slash soccer for 25% off your first order. Thank you to Hydrant for keeping us hydrated, for reminding Daryl that he likes limes, and for sponsoring this episode of the Total Soccer Show. Uh, We've talked about some of the big teams. Let's keep it going. Let's talk Tottenham next. Does that work for you? Yeah, what you got for Tottenham? What, What do people need to watch out for for Tottenham? Uh, Tottenham in general, I guess is my answer. Like basically which Tottenham are we going to see is what I'm going to be keeping an eye on. But I think the obvious thing that people can look for is the return of all of the injured players that they had, uh, when the league was suspended. We have Steven Bergwijn coming back. We have Son Heung-min coming back. We have Harry Kane. We have Sissoko, all of them back. And you would assume motivated and ready to go, which then does allow Jose Mourinho to do a lot of the things that he was not able to do with say Lucas Mora as his own the attacker yeah um i can't remember who the interview was it might have been jack pitt brook but i i heard um an interview where the point was made that without harry kane mm-hmm. and without son young min spurs were reduced to hugo Lloris playing long balls and five foot seven lucas yeah. mora challenging center backs for them and inevitably losing and then tottenham being under pressure like mm. it was just a desperate situation they were in Mourinho was kind of throwing his hands up and being like hey I've got no strikers what do you want from me well that excuse is over now right because Harry Kane is back and Harry Kane is fit Son Heung-min is back and Son Heung-min is fit so yeah and Bergwijn like you said he made an exciting start right so to have mm. him back from injury and Sissoko I think is an important part um he was we always liked him as one of the most intelligent yep. midfielders we saw right he just knew how to position himself where where to go and apply pressure where he was needed um so I I'm kind of looking forward to seeing Spurs back and Spurs being more like the way Mourinho imagines them to be 
Yeah, and I, I want to go back to a thing you said there when you said Mourinho sort of like threw his hands up in the air and said, what more do you want from me? From that same article by uh, Jack Pitbrook for The Athletic, um, th- there was the conversation about how basically if that season had continued as it was, there's a decent chance that Mourinho would have been sacked because at that point we have, after that one-to-one draw with Burnley, he publicly outs uh, and Dombele is not being good enough, is not working hard enough. I want to talk it, about that. And there was, and there was. It sounds like a reaction within the locker room of like that was a step too far. That we know Jose Mourinho is going to be confrontational. We know he kind of takes that mindset to try to get the players to respond with aggression and with sort of like I'll show you. You tell me I can't do it. Well, I'm going to go out and score five goals. And I think there was an idea that that crossed the line and that this gap has allowed him to sort of get the players back so he can feel a bit more like he has some depth, he has some options. And then also it maybe has instilled that hunger in him a little bit, that will to fight as opposed to throw his hands up in the air. So I'm excited to see what happens with Tanguy and Dombele. Mm-hmm. So worth remembering, for those who don't know, he is Spurs' record signing. They paid yeah. £55 million to get him from Leon. Um, and then in March, Mourinho subbed him out at halftime when they were losing to Burnley. And then afterwards, this is the thing you were referring to, Taylor, he said in the press conference, in the first half, we didn't have a midfield. And he also um, subbed out Oliver Skip. And he, then he made sure to say, I'm not speaking of Skip. He made wow. very clear that he was speaking about Ndombele. And he essentially saying he's had enough time to come to a different level. Um, and he basically has to give us more. Mm-hmm. So Ndombele is only 23 years old, right? And it goes to this big thing of, is Mourinho, are his methods effective on a, the previous generation, like the Lampards and the Drogba's? and not effective on the newer, younger players who maybe don't want to get embarrassed in public. Mm. And I think we're going to find out whether Mourinho has figured out how to motivate someone like Ndombele. Because if it works, Ndombele is a magnificent player to watch. He's one of those players that, I think ball retention, right, is is the key, right? You cannot take the ball off of Ndombele when he has it, when he's on form. So I would, Spurs fans, and just me as a neutral viewer, I would love to see Ndombele being able to do that for Spurs and to see Ndombele make things happen for Spurs. That to me is going to be the Spurs thing that I'm going to watch for in this like weird latter half of the season. Is just Ndombele making it happen? Question mark? Yeah, and, or not, right? And whether mm-hmm. Mourinho sort of hasn't managed to, to motivate him. There's also like a magnificent irony that might come about from this. For me, Spurs were the coronavirus bad boys, right? So Spurs, yes. Spurs had like the whole thing where Spurs... Uh, Initially, we're going to furlough all their workers and have the UK government pay 80% of their wages, even though they probably could afford to pay their workers. And then they had that thing where Mourinho himself got in trouble because he had Ndombele, Davinson Sanchez, and Ryan Sessegnon meet him in a park to do some training, which went against UK government guidelines for what you should be doing for coronavirus. You weren't supposed to meet up with people outside of your household. It was much stricter there than it has been here in the United States. And yet, coronavirus might benefit Spurs more than anyone because of the return yep. of Kane, Son Heung-min, um, and Bergwijn, and Sissoko. So I think there's, gonna, there's probably going to be a great irony there. Mm-hmm. The problem is Spurs are in eighth place, and yep. they've got a long way to go at the table. They certainly do. I, I think, though, like, I want to go back to a couple things there. Uh, because Mourinho, I think, is a person who, when things are going well and when he has the players he wants at his disposal, that sort of philosophy that I'm going to push you, I'm going to challenge you, it works really well. When he doesn't or when it's not going well, it obviously then becomes much more of a negative thing of he's attacking his own players. And you're right that he has those players training and they get in trouble for that during the uh, the shutdown. And yet, simultaneously, it's like, yeah, but it's still four guys showed up. <laughs> like, it's, it's four... <laughs> 
it's four people who maybe with a different manager with with Mauricio Pochettino who they know better, who's a bit more avuncular. Maybe they're gonna they're gonna say like, ah, we like to show up, but we're not quite sure. Whereas maybe Jose Mourinho, they're a bit more like, okay, yeah, we'll do what you want. We're on board. Let's make it happen. So, of, um, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, speaking of Pochettino and the coronavirus shutdown, one of the big things that a lot of um, yeah. Spurs experts have been saying is that all the players were mentally and physically exhausted yep. because of what Pochettino put them through. Mm-hmm. I mean that in a good way, right? He just places big demands on players and that the end of the Pochettino era was basically Spurs players running out of uh, energy. Their energy bar was low, right? I miss, and- I miss that he said, I, I probably should have been sacked. I yeah. miss that whole talking point in there. So those players were exhausted. Mourinho can't unexhaust them when there's constant mm-hmm. games coming thick and fast. So right. that's another way that the coronavirus might have been a positive for Spurs is that they all got this really long break to, to recover, right? Yeah. So that's another reason why you might see a new and improved Spurs coming out of the break. But as I mentioned earlier, Taylor, I'm really interested to see, is it too late or not? Because they're in eighth place and there's a lot of teams going for those Champions League spots. Certainly. And, and and that's where you have to then try to figure out, is that their goal? Because let's say the Man City ban does get upheld, as you said earlier. That means uh, fifth place is good enough for the Champions League. But even fifth place, currently occupied by Man United, 45 points. Spurs, four points back. They will open up against Manchester United on that Friday. Yeah, uh, so- I'm really looking forward to that. It's Mourinho against Man United. Yeah, so then suddenly, like if they win that one, they're they're back within contention. They're back much closer. So I think that win, if they can get that against Manchester United, will set the tone. If they don't, if it's a draw or they they lose outright, then I think maybe that fourth place, that Champions League spot, or that fifth place Champions League spot is going to be harder to come by for sure. Now I want to talk about a team that we've been ignoring. Sure, it's the team in third place mm-hmm. with fifty three points. Yep, it's Leicester City. It is, or some Americans call them. Leicester City. Mm-hmm. Leicester. That would be a Ted Lasso exclusive, <laughs> I believe. Leicester City in third place. Here's what I want you to watch for with Leicester City. I want you to basically watch them because they're an entertaining team to watch. Mm-hmm. Leicester City are worth your time when they're on television and they're going to be on television. Um, so I basically want to give people the quick tactical setup of Leicester City because I think it's worth watching for. Mm-hmm. Brendan Rodgers has them pass the ball out of the back and maintain possession out of the back um, in a way that's really secure and impressive. But then when they manage to open up, um, open up some space, you'll suddenly see Leicester accelerate. They'll go from like zero to 60 in about three seconds. And you'll see quick passes go through midfield, like through uh, Tielemans and Madison and then Jamie Vardy's in on goal. So that's to me, that's what makes Leicester City really exciting to watch is it's like a slow, 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 fast, 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 and something's happening. So mm. Leicester City to me are, they should be appointment television because I think that it's, it's just an exciting style of soccer that is, it's just worth turning your TV on for, even though they still, even after the 2015-16 fairy tale, they feel unglamorous. Do you know what I'm saying? But they're mm-hmm. actually worth tuning in to watch. They are. And now I'm going to disagree with you entirely. Oh, no. Because they are the team that I think could do the Schalke. Uh, I think that there are some warning signs there, some of them uh, going back to their form before uh, the coronavirus shutdown. They had only won three of nine games in 2020. So there was some concern that maybe the fixtures, maybe the length of the season, the way they were playing was catching out to them. Jamie Vardy had had a downturn in form. So it could well be argued, yeah, but you get this break, you get him back in there. They hit the ground running, they're fine. But there's a couple things that you've mentioned that is where I have concern. I think we have seen that teams that emphasize building out of the back, quick possession, and then most importantly there, when they go from zero to 60, it requires familiarity and timing and awareness and all those things that you get over a sustained campaign playing together. 
it might take them a little bit of time to get back to that form because they've had that gap. And I could see them slipping up a little bit. I'm not saying they definitely will. I, they're a team that we have consistently written off, not quite as much as when they won the title, but they have been sort of, okay, yeah, but eventually they're going to come back down to earth. But I've seen many people predicting that they will be one of the teams to slide out and maybe miss out on the Champions League entirely. I don't know if I would go that far, but I don't know if I'm as confident about them as you are. I think you need to listen carefully to what I said. Mm. I didn't say that I'm guaranteeing that they'll be in the Champions League spots, right? You said I their appointment s- television? I, I, I just said that they're worth watching. They are an exciting <laughs> team to watch. Their games are yeah. entertaining. I didn't say they'll finish top four, top five. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I think honestly, I, I'm not trying to be a stick in the mud. It just it reminds me of Leipzig and how excited I was to watch Leipzig because they can be so electrifying and their possession is so intense and their pressing can be really e- electrifying. And then watching them has been sort of like, yeah, this is it's good. It's not quite what I was looking for. And I just don't want that to be the case with Leicester because they've got James Madison. They've got Jamie Vardy. They've got uh, Wolfram Didi. They've got so many people that I like enjoy watching and want to see more of. They do not have Ricardo Pereira, who is still out. They're one of the few teams who didn't get all of their players back. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. Pereira's yeah. out. Oh, yeah, no. I believe he's, he's still out with ACL. Uh, <laughs> so uh, a few little things in there have me worried, but I take your point that regardless, they will be fun to watch and you should turn in. And if you're a Man United fan, that's the final team you're playing uh, on the final game of the season. That could have some ramifications for Europe. So Leicester City's first game is away to Watford. Watford um, obviously battling relegation there in 17th. So that could be a nice test to see. We'll see what Leicester City are all about, right? We shall. Um, we shall speaking indeed. of teams overperforming, I'm sorry, I was about to go twice in a row. Excuse me, Taylor, it's your no, turn. Go ahead, go ahead. I'll, I'll follow your lead. Let's do it, baby. Another team that maybe um, doesn't get enough attention, including from us, but mm-hmm. maybe should, is Sheffield United. Sheffield United, yep. All right, so you're on the same page with me? I oh, yeah. spent some time watching Sheffield United um, using my old friend White Scout and watching some Sheffield United players and learning more about Sheffield United, because, not least because they're a rival to Wolves for that either Champions League or Europa League spot, but also because they're the first team back, right? We'll see mm-hmm. Villa versus Sheffield United um, as the first game back. So I wanted to, I wanted to be um, Blades educated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Here's what I've learned. Everybody knows about the overlapping centre-backs, right? Yeah. If you don't, they have a back three um, and their centre-backs, Jack, their wide centre-backs, Jack O'Connell and Chris Basham, will essentially bomb down the wing and get involved. What I now understand about Sheffield United is that the overlapping centre-backs is not the cause of their tactical system. It's a symptom of their mm-hmm. system, which is a commitment to wide overloads. So you will see centre-backs go out wide. They've already got wing-backs out wide. They will send central midfielders out wide. They will send centre-forwards out wide. Um, I listened to uh, Michael Cox on zonal marking, and he described it as a game of one-upmanship. So essentially, no matter how many defenders you send over to that side, Sheffield United will send one more player, and they will (laughs) always have an overload and a spare man. And that's how they're able to work their way down the wing. And then cross the ball in and not like a hopeless floated cross but they'll zip it in um, for one of their strikers Mousset or McBurney or McGoldrick or Billy Sharp to be on the end of so look out for Sheffield United and wide overloads one thing that I enjoyed reading did you read about Terror Tuesday I did not. Please tell me. So Terror Tuesday is a specific day that uh, manager Chris Wilder puts into their preseason. It is uh, evidently, according to every player on the team, including their most fit players, the most grueling fitness session that they have ever experienced. Uh, it but sounds it's way worse than Taco Tuesday. 
It really does. Uh, but it's representative of, I think, what Chris Wilder has instilled in that team is the ability to fight, the willingness to work. But a lot of that is rooted in fitness. That he's emphasized diet. They've like like instituted like mandatory ice baths to in, like to help with recovery. There's like very customized weight regimens. All of that is somewhat standard. But for a team like Sheffield United, who were in the championship, fought their way up, but then are in the position they're in now, probably would be a manager of the year candidate if Liverpool weren't having the season they're having. But sort of the way that he has got the entire team to buy into a system that features a thing that is far and away just the most grueling thing that they've experienced, but it allows them to make those runs and to be fit in the 89th minute so you yeah. can have that one person get involved in the attack to create that overload. I think it all points to an incredibly unified team that have bought in, and it's why we've seen them be able to have, I think, like the most consistent starters aside from maybe Watford, I think it was. Mm-hmm. They've had the most consistent players playing the most consistent minutes. So I would expect more of that, especially with with a little bit of time off. Um, maybe there's some of the, there are some of those concerns about the system kind of getting back underway, but I have faith in Chris Wilder to get it going. Yeah, and it's not like a new thing, right? They've been playing this system for two, exactly. three yeah. years, just through the division. So it's not mm-hmm. as if it's a thing they only learned this year. I, I want to give people a couple of names to look out for because I realize sure. we just described tactical concepts. For me, the left centre-back, Jack O'Connell, is the one to watch. Uh, Chris Basham on the other side overlaps, but Jack O'Connell overlaps down the left. And then if things do get like a little tight over there, he has an absolute magic, magical wand of a left foot. And you will see him switch magical the wand. field. Magical wand. All ones are magical, mm-hmm. right? Except the yeah. defective ones. So his left foot is not defective. You will see him switch the field like from one touchline to the other. He will like ping it all the way over to, I think it's Baldock is the right wing back, and land it on his foot if that overload is getting them in trouble. So Jack O'Connor is definitely worth looking out for. And then central midfielder John Fleck, who spent a lot of time in Scotland. He is Scottish, I think. Spent a lot of time with Rangers. He plays, plays central midfield, but again, because of the system, he drifts out to that left wing. He has a great left foot as well. So you'll see, you'll see him essentially put passes in behind for people or do those big switches. So Jack O'Connell and John Fleck. And then the final name worth knowing, mm. this is a narrative that I want to follow, David McGoldrick. Okay. Are you familiar with David McGoldrick? I mean, I know his name, and I know he is a crafty veteran, is how I'll put it. There we go. Yeah, so he is one of the four strikers that Sheffield United sort of rotate around and around and around and around. Everybody loves David McGoldrick, Sheffield United, because of that hard... He's like exemplifies that hard work, personifies that hard work and commitment that you were talking about. Like, he's he was probably all in on Terror Tuesdays. <laughs> um, <laughs> he's, he's committed a huge amount of... Um, not committed, sorry, he's contributed um, a huge amount to Sheffield United this season. Everybody loves him. And yet, he's the only striker that doesn't have a goal. He has missed some open goals. He's just basically had a bit of bad luck, despite being really effective all over the field, except in front of goal. Billy Sharp has a goal. Liz Musset has a goal. Ali McBurney has a goal. They all have about five goals. David McGoldrick has none. A narrative for this, like, this end of the season thing is, can David McGoldrick cap off all his hard work all his contributions, can he finally get a Premier League goal for Sheffield United? All right, so I want to keep an eye on David McGoldrick, and I hope that he does. There's I will celebrate. I'll celebrate when he scores you his will? Premier League goal. Yeah. All right, all right. What about, all right, I, I, 
I apologize to you Norwegians if I butcher his name, but uh, Sanderberga yeah. uh, comes in. That's the other one that I wanted to focus on for a moment. 22-year-old central midfielder. He only has four appearances, so you might think, like, oh, he's not that important, but it's worth noting that that's because he signed in January, and that's a player who, if you believe the reports, uh, Liverpool to some extent, but Man- Manchester United especially, heavily linked with him. It was reported that that was a done deal. He was moving to Man United. He does not. Instead, he goes to Sheffield United, so it's a different United. Maybe that's how they got him. <laughs> but he's only 22 years old, as I said. He was a key performer for Genk, I think it was. Uh, and now how he fits in, if he fits in, if he get those minutes. But it's it's this young player who is a, a pretty much a coup that they were able to bring in. Yeah. Uh, and for Sheffield United, I think, to, to beat Manchester United to a player while being seventh in the table in their first league back in the Premier or first season back in the Premier League is a pretty solid first campaign. So my understanding is he's their record signing. I want to say it was like yeah. twenty two million pounds. Mm-hmm. Um I think he's he's basically not done anything wrong, but he hasn't established himself in the first team because Oliver right. Norwood is the defensive midfielder that he has to replace. And Oliver Norwood has been doing absolutely fine for Sheffield United. So it's a, he probably thought he'd have an easier time breaking into the first team at Sheffield that United than at one of the bigger teams. But he, cause he, he probably looked at the name like, Oliver Norwood, who's that? I, I don't know. But that's, that's kind of the Sheffield United story this season, right? It's um, players you probably haven't heard of doing very impressive things. Yep. Yeah. Yep. But I, I like I'm it. with you, though. Like, it's really worth keeping an eye on uh, Sander Berger just because he is that first big money signing that Sheffield United have made. One final thing I'd like to add. Don't treat Sheffield United like underdogs that you should be rooting for. They are owned by a Saudi prince. That's worth yeah. adding. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. It's, yeah, they're not some... Uh, was it Sheffield Wednesday or Sheffield United who were featured in the full Monty? I think it was Sheffield United. Yeah, yeah, it's mentioned in there at the very least. But either way, they're not. Yeah, they're not like some like working town club who who like fought their way up and scrapped their way up. I mean, they are, but they did that through uh, yeah. investment from the Saudi government. Yeah, I mean, they're a working class team owned by a Saudi prince. Exactly. Welcome to the Premier League. <laughs> Welcome to the Premier League. Um, oh, oh boy, I, I went two in a row, Taylor. What what you got for me? Um, I have got uh, today's final sponsor. If we want to talk about them. I'm, I'm all in. I've got two more teams I want to talk about. Just <laughs> so if, you're, if you're a Southampton fan or an Arsenal fan, don't worry, I've got you covered. Yes, I've got some Arsenal thoughts as well. But first, I've got some thoughts about today's sponsor, Hawthorne. Daryl, I talked about Hawthorne earlier when I was recording the ad read for MLS Assist. What can you tell us about Hawthorne? I can tell you that smelling good is important. That is true. I, I try to not smell bad. I try to smell <laughs> good. Um, and Hawthorne will help you smell good. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll help you smell not smell nicely, smell good, smell good. Yeah. They'll help you smell, smell good with cologne, Gooder, if you with will. deodorant. Mm-hmm. They'll help you keep your face clean. They'll help you keep your face moisturized. They will also help you choose products, right? If you yeah. are someone who is confused when you look at all uh, products for all the things I just mentioned, essentially hygiene, <laughs> yep. if, you, if you're confused about what to buy, then if you go to Hawthorne with an E, .co.co, hawthorne.co, you can take a quiz and they will ask you questions about what type of skin you have, what type of hair you have, um, what sort of smells you like. And then after you take the quiz, they will present you with all the options that fit your profile, essentially. So you won't have to choose the shampoo. They'll tell you which shampoo, which body wash, which deodorant works for you. These will be personalized products based on the results of you taking a two-minute quiz. Exactly. So if you want to smell most goodest, then you want to get those personalized products. That that's, will, that's the phrase I was looking for. 
obviously, that will fit your needs. So if you've got dry skin or oily skin or oily scalp or dry scalp, or they give you those different options so you get the product that fits what you need, as Daryl said, via that quiz, uh, which is only about two minutes long, so it's not going to take up most of your day, as I said earlier. Not the SATs, not the MCATs or anything like that. It's, it's fairly straightforward. No cats at all. So nah. check out Hawthorne at Hawthorne.co. That's Hawthorne with an E and dot C-O, not dot com. Hawthorne.co. And use the promo code TSS to get 10% off your first purchase. That's Hawthorne.co. Use the promo code TSS. You'll get 10% off your first purchase. And one more time, it'll be in the show notes, but it's Hawthorne.co. Thank you very much to Hawthorne.co for sponsoring today's episode. All right, Daryl, let's get to Arsenal. You mentioned them earlier. Let's talk about them now. Okay, so what to look out for with Arsenal is... Everything? Mikel Arteta <laughs> perfecting their positional play. There we go. Okay, well said. So Again, yours more succinct than mine. <laughs> Arteta took over from Emery mid-season. Mm. Mikel Arteta is a Pep Guardiola disciple right he's not like an identical copycat but he definitely has that positional play um idea of wanting to um in a greg behelter way um unbalance the opposition through movement and through positioning right and create openings that way through possession through positioning through ripping the opposition apart um but arteta had the reverse problem of greg behelter he had too many games and no preseason right? Greg Berhalter has those long camps and then only mm. one game and then a big gap. Mikel Arteta, when he took over trying to teach this system, he had game after game after game, no preseason, no time between games. Mikel Arteta has now been given a nice big long camp where he can teach the system to these Arsenal players and they were already kind of getting it just before the break, right? So that's why I'm quite excited to see um, this Arsenal team with playing positional play under Mikel Arteta. I'm excited to see, I think because he's had that break combined with the way that he seemed to be approaching it as the the shutdown took place, which was to bring people back in. Uh, There was like Mustafi being given consideration again. There was Shaka coming back in. David Luiz, there was talk of like maybe they will try to find a way to extend his contract. He has, I think, a a year option if they want to trigger it. Um, And it it does feel like there are so many players who previously, if I saw starting for Arsenal, I would have rubbed my hands together with glee if I were a Man United fan let's say uh because like oh Mustafi's in there and Shaka okay there's going to be opportunities and uh, not to say that Mikel Arteta has suddenly made those players like world beaters overnight but I I do think to your point he's had this camp he's got them to buy in a bit more I think he's also aware of what the limitations are going to be for him in the transfer window with the economic slowdown that we're expecting and is already underway so I think finding a way to get people back on board to the extent possible and to make them buy into the system and be ready to go I don't think you can write them off if they are playing some players that six months ago we absolutely would have thought would have been uh transferred uh, come the summer you mean you talk about buying into the system here's, yeah. here's what I see unlike under Unai Emery Mikel Arteta has quite a clear system yep. and you can you already could start to see the defined roles that certain players would have right like I've seen it and I understand it and I like it so if you think of say uh uh, Bukayo Saka, right, who was playing left-back uh, for Arteta. But he was playing left-back in a way that was a lot like what Alfonso Davis does for Bayern Munich, right, where he is allowed to essentially get really high and get pin- pinned out on the left wing and essentially be a left winger as well as a left-back. So that's one thing to watch out for is uh, Saka providing the width on the left. Maybe Kolasinic if, if he replaces him, but I'm excited, I'm excited by Saka. But here's why that's important is then, do you remember the whole thing of like, um, should Pierre Emmerich, should Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang be playing left wing? It's kind of weird because he's really a striker. 
But they have this system with the positional play where Saka provides the width and Aubameyang can start on the left and then he can drift inside mm-hmm. from the left wing and join Lacazette, right? And then over on the other side, you've got Pepe, who, you know, they spent a lot of money on and was maybe disappointing under Emery. Pepe, the right winger, pins himself to the right side. Then you've got this thing where you're stretching the opposition nice and wide. And then you've got Mesut Ozil underneath probably Lacazette. And suddenly Mesut Ozil has quite a lot of space to operate in. And I think a thing to watch out for, if this positional play system is working, is Mesut Ozil will be absolutely key to it. Because he's so good at changing the direction of play quickly, like being really quick thinking, quick ideas. Um, I think this is going to really suit Mesut Ozil. And we saw bits of it um, during Arteta's reign. I think, yeah. we'll, I think we'll really see it um, again in this, this end of the season stuff that we're about to see. But it's telling that we're talking about uh, DC United's Mesut Ozil right now, right? Right, yeah, because it, it just didn't make sense or he didn't fit mm-hmm. correctly under Emery. Under the new Arteta system, Mesut Ozil absolutely fits. He, he might even be worth the £350,000 a week. Yeah, and I know that uh, – let's not go that far. Uh, but I know that like like Arsenal fans will be sad if they don't make the Champions League. I think given the way they've gone with the Europa League, maybe there's a look towards that as being uh, a distraction as opposed to something to be valued. But they're still alive in the FA Cup. Uh, I think that they'll maybe push for that. I think that they will work on building that squad. I don't think Arsenal fans should be too sad if they don't sort of turn it on, win every single game, qualify for Europe. Yeah. There's always they're that ninth, disappointment. Right? They're ninth yeah. a point behind Spurs. Although they're exactly. Although they have a game in hand, but yeah, it looks a long way to qualify for Europe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but Rome was not built in a day. Arsenal were not fixed in a day. And <laughs> I think, uh, but I think with Unai Emery out, with Mikel Arteta in, I, you could have him sort of getting players to buy back in, like believing in the system, really executing it having well. Having a system. Maybe, yeah, having a system. And then maybe you add one or two pieces in the summer, but it doesn't maybe... I'm saying in an ideal situation, it doesn't feel as clear as a clear out as it might have been yeah. uh, maybe six months ago again. Yeah, I absolutely agree. It's not about having to buy a load of players. I right. think, and it's maybe it's not even about qualifying for Europe. I would argue that if you're an Arsenal fan or even just an Arsenal observer, that this pre- this end of the Premier League season, this project restart thing, I'm still struggling to find a phrase that sums up what yeah, we're doing. It's hard. These mm-hmm. these million Premier League games in a month or so. Yep. Um, it should just be about watching Arteta perfect the positional play system so that Arsenal have it down and then they're ready to go next season. You started off talking about David Luiz. I think he's the perfect example. He's exactly the type of player you want, right? Because you want your centre-back to be bringing the ball out of the back. um, And sort of, we talked about before, a few months ago, about how Arteta likes his centre-backs to engage the first opponent so Mm. that he pulls them out of play. Luis lives for that stuff. He he lives to be um, sort of going... Engaging? Yeah, yeah, engaging opposition strikers (laughs) and making something happen and breaking lines with passes. David Luiz can do all that. So it actually works for David Luiz in a way that um, it didn't work under Emery. So again, Arsenal are an interesting watch uh, because I think we'll see um, a much more... Uh, it'll be much more what Arteta sees in his head will be the Arsenal that we see on the field. Yeah, because you mentioned David Luiz, we talked about Aubameyang, we've talked about Ozil, but there's also, say, Torreira or Ganduzi, players who have shown in moments but haven't hit that level where we know they're going to be consistent starters, we know exactly what he's going to get out of them and what he's expecting of them. I think we're going to see more of that, and more to the point, if we don't see them, I think we kind of have our answer about who's going to be moved on. So sort of seeing who does end up getting the minutes, who does end up getting consistent starts, and who is on the bench or not even on the bench when you have the five subs will be very telling. You know I'm a big Torreira fan, right i love i I love his tackling i love his commitment to just breaking up play no matter what i'm not sure he's a he's a good fit for what Mikel arteta is doing because he's going to want all his midfielders to be 
passing midfielders, ball playing midfielders, yep. guys who can like maintain possession but then uh, split lines. That's not really Torreira's game, right? And I think that's why yep. you've seen um, before the shutdown, you basically saw a base two midfield of Granit Xhaka um, and Danny Ceballos, who's on loan from, I want to say, Real Madrid, yep. and then Mesut Ozil ahead of them. So it's all a lot more technical than the like run-you-down style of Lucas Torreira. Um, so maybe they should sell him to Wolves for cheap. Okay, there you go. I am sad if we don't see Lucas Torreira uh, reach that full potential. I'm more sad, though. You mentioned uh, Pepe, who you meant Nicola Pepe. But for a moment, I contemplated a reality in which we have Pepe and David Luiz as the two center backs. And I would have been very happy with that. I'm afraid not. I'm afraid (laughs) not. Um, ever since uh, ever since Pepe decided to be Portuguese, right? That became impossible. <laughs> <laughs> so I still have Southampton in my notes here and one yeah. other team. What what you got, Taylor? Uh, I, we can go with that one because I have a more general one of just kind of going back to that who might be the shocker who does have a downturn in form. But my feeling right now uh, is Newcastle. And we can basically, maybe the, the less said about them, the better. So let's talk about Southampton instead. Okay, so Southampton. Here's my take on Southampton. They are going to be essentially a an unbranded Red Bull team for the, for the next couple of years. Yeah, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So, Coach Ralph Hasenhutel, who has been to, cl- to clarify, I, we should add, we're not saying that that means like RB RB have some sort of nefarious hold on them. Red Bull own them, but have done it through shell corporations. You're saying their style of play and their their overall look. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. it's not it's not official. There's no mm-hmm. actual Red Bull ownership, but. Hazen Hootel, who's like a Red Bull guy, um, is in charge of Southampton and they just gave him a four-year contract. And I've heard Carl Anker talk about this. If you haven't heard Carl Anker write or talk about Southampton, then you're missing out because sure. <laughs> you've heard him on our show probably, right? Um, Hazen Hootel has basically been given the authority to have the whole Southampton system playing his Red Bull 4-2-2-2 high-pressing style all the way down to the under nines. So Southampton are all in wow. on this system. It is absolutely going to happen. Um, so look out. If you're playing Southampton or if you're watching Southampton, you're essentially watching a Red Bull-like team. Maybe we should call them Monster. They'll be Monster Southampton. <laughs> I'm sure they'll love that way, way more. <laughs> um, and the one player to watch, quick player to watch out for, I'm a big fan, have been for a long time, of Pierre-Emil Hoiberg. You remember him in his Bayern Munich days? Um, I do. Pep Guardiola really liked him, but for, um, I don't know why he moved on, but he moved on to Southampton. He's now captain of Southampton at 24, mm-hmm. and he's great at recovering the ball, passing it short, right? Mm-hmm. Nothing fancy, nothing flash, but he's almost like a more controlled Lucas Torreira. Like, I think mm-hmm. he knows what he's doing. He's a bit more in control of what he's doing than Lucas Torreira. It's a bit more um, premeditated, whereas Torreira is like, just run you down kind of thing. Yep. Um, and there are constant transfer rumors linking Pierre-Emil Hoiberg with bigger teams like, say, Spurs. So if you're a Spurs fan or a fan of just a you know, top four, five, six Premier League team, Pierre-Emil Hoiberg, I think, is going to be one of those players that is going to be talked about in the transfer rumors in the next few months. Get a look at him playing for Southampton now. Uh, I, first of all, I love that you put more mustard on that name every single time you said it, so that makes me happy. Uh, you are absolutely correct that he feels very much like a Tottenham player. Like, you could see that name on the back of a Tottenham jersey. <laughs> that does fit. Well, they, they, uh, needed, so, they famously need a defensive midfielder as well, right? That's yeah. the thing they've been crying out for for a couple of years now. I mean, yeah, Jose Mourinho literally crying about it. <laughs> uh, and then I would add, since we're talking about Southampton... I mean, the, the fifth top scorer in the Premier League, Daryl Grove. Is it Danny, it's Danny Ings? Ings. Yeah, yeah, go on, Danny Ings. England legend Danny Ings. Yeah, a lot of people were saying that Danny Ings would probably have made the Euro 2020 squad on form alone. 
I think, I mean, that's a big shout, right? Because you never know who's yeah. going to make a squad. But yeah, I, I went and watched some Danny Ings footage and that is one lively gentleman. Yeah. He is. I mean, I think that was at a time when they thought the Euros were going to happen and there would be no Harry Kane and Marcus Rashford. Yes. Uh, so I think sense. that's where maybe he would have factored into things a bit more. Yeah, I think with a, with a fully fit England squad, maybe he's not in there. But you understand why there was initially some of that conversation. Yeah. Because 15 goals in the Premier League, not bad. And then when you watch Southampton, you've got, what, Danny Ings and Shane Long, who really two really hardworking players. They're making runs in the channels. They're pressing. They're running people down. And then you've got one of my favorite players, Nathan Redmond, is operating as like one of the central attacking midfielders slash wingers um, just behind them in the 4-2-2-2. Um, I, Southampton, another, it's another team that I definitely will enjoy watching them. And speaking of Leicester and speaking of Sheffield United and speaking of Southampton, they're the teams that I'm going to enjoy watching because of the way the TV schedule is structured now, right? They're not all kicking off at 10 a.m. on a Saturday and I have to choose between them. And honestly, probably Wolves are playing, so I just watch them instead. Um, now that it's all staggered and spread out, I can take my time and watch each of these teams. Mm-hmm. And, and which which of those teams do you think are, are you most excited about? Of teams that you don't normally watch, who do you think you're most pumped to spend some time with? Leicester City, just to prove okay. just to prove you wrong. <laughs> um, I am my final one before we get to some of the questions. Uh, I mentioned I was interested in which teams have that downturn in form. Uh, I've talked about a few. It could be the one that I will be keeping an eye on for train wreck purposes. <laughs> I don't know if this is how it will go. But like in terms of teams that have a lot of depth and therefore should be better, which can then be a source of frustration, a manager who has been there before and sometimes doesn't inspire confidence, some lingering injury concerns, West Ham have got to be a little bit nervous. Currently 16th, but I believe only out of the relegation zone on goal difference. They have negative 15, Watford in 17th on negative 17, Bournemouth in 18th on negative 18. And, and you could see the case for West Ham not really coming back, like fully ready to go, fully charged, not quite buying into David Moyes, not having had the strong season that they would have expected. And you could see them having trouble with the way the rest of this season plays out. And David Moyes, I think I just rely on him not being that strong of a motivator. He's not going to be that person who kind of finds a way to instill the fight back in his team. I, I do think West Ham got fans should be a little bit nervous. So the, I hope you're right because West Ham's first game is on mm-hmm. Saturday yep. at home to Wolves. And this will actually be the game where, if you don't have cable, this is the game that I think is going to be on NBC because it's the 12.30 Eastern kickoff. So West Ham hosting Wolves, Saturday, June 20th at 12.30 p.m. Eastern. And that team, for, let me just pause for a moment to say, Daryl Grove, do you know the midfielders they have? Like, it is, it is absurd for them to be where they are with the depth of talent they have. Jack Wilshere? Uh, that's the one. That's the main one. I mean, you've got Felipe Anderson, you've got Mark Noble, Jack Wilshere, Mikel Antonio, uh, Carlos Sanchez, Declan Rice. Like they've got M- M- uh, Lanzini as well, Snodgrass as well. You've got so many talented players in that team. For them to be as far down as they are, uh, to me, it speaks to a lack of cohesion and a lack of sort of buy-in to what David Moyes is selling. Uh, so yeah, we'll see how that one goes. Uh, and maybe without the massive investment that say Newcastle are expected to get, West Ham might be in a different division next year do you think we'll see Declan Rice handing out business cards after games <laughs> just a reminder I'm really good I yeah. play for England please, my, please sign me my info's please on the me. back my info's on the back <laughs> <laughs> speaking of relegation I want to talk yeah. briefly about Aston Villa um, sure. I think a thing to watch out for um, Aston Villa are in the relegation zone right now right they're up first against uh, Sheffield United look out for Jack Grealish this is going to be Jack Grealish's last hurrah at Aston Villa 
I think, as I understand it, I think he's moving on at the end of the season, no matter what. And I think given the way he took that um, EFL Cup final defeat was all the evidence you need that this was probably Jack Grealish's last chance to win something with Aston Villa. Um, he's definitely not saying if they get relegated. I think he's moving on even if they stay up. But I think he's going to do everything possible to keep his boyhood team in the Premier League. And with John McGinn, who's really the midfield engine at Aston Villa, he's the guy that will run and run and run and run. I think Villa are going to have a little uptick in form. And I think you'll see some magic from Jack Grealish. I love the idea of watching um, a player who grew up supporting a team, giving everything he's got to try and make something happen before he leaves. It's a bit of a fairy tale. I feel like I feel like we should note Jack Grealish is another one who did break uh, the curfew, the quarantine curfew, yes. and, and uh, did did go out, did get in trouble for that one. Uh, not that that will even factor into things, just that we've given grief to other players for doing that. We've given grief to Jose Mourinho for doing that. We should mention that, and just then maybe if you want to add speculation to it, you could say that maybe he wants to redeem himself, and he's kind of in the like in the bad books right now at Villa, but he wants to go out on top. To your point, if he is leaving, which it seems very likely he is, I mean, honestly, maybe we he's get not... that resurgence, we get that response. Honestly, he's probably not even in the bad books they just love him so much that he's probably forgiven by now (laughs) i think publicly wise is what i mean like the general public i think it's an easy thing to hit him with uh and so if he can sort of justify his not justify his behavior but if he can sort of come out score some goals remind everybody like oh he's really 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 good yeah that criticism probably fades a bit yeah i mean even villa fans have already forgiven him because they just want saving but yeah the the uh, neutral public yeah the thing they'll remember is is him breaking coronavirus lockdown rules, which, by the way, is not looked kindly upon in England. People get very angry because they've sat, people have sacrificed a lot in terms of yes. not visiting family uh, and mm-hmm. stuff. So it was a big deal. But I think Jack Grealish on the field, you're, you're going to see some magic, I'm pretty sure. You're going to see him dribbling at people. I want to say I picture Grealish with his socks rolled down, even yep. though that's not really a thing that you can do anymore. No, I mean, he's got a, he wears them low, for yeah. sure. He's the, he's the Mario Corso of... Uh, <laughs> That's, that's that's a joke for you and me and anybody who happens to remember that episode. Yeah, Very episode, few people, I'm guessing. episode was like three days ago. Uh, uh, still. <laughs> I know Ira Jersey heard it because um, he said he was just catching up and he just heard that. Final Hi. thing on Villa. Indiana Vasilev might get mm-hmm. more time off the bench. This is a US under-20 striker slash attacking midfielder. Um, Wesley, Villa's expensive striker that they signed in the summer, is still injured. He's on the way back. They bought in um, Borja Baston. So he's probably going to be the starting striker. But anytime he gets subbed out, the only guy I can think of to step in for him is Indiana Vasilev. He's already played two Premier League games, one FA Cup game, one EFL Cup game. So he's got, you know, some experience. It won't be like he's raw and like it's all too much for him. So I expect we'll see more of Indiana Vasilev um, in this period. So look out for Pulisic, uh, Yedlin at Newcastle, um, Vasilev at Villa and Atasoui at Wolves. That's your American interest. All right. American interest covered. Uh, Daryl, any other teams you want to talk about specifically before we get to some of those questions from Twitter? Um, there's one bit of news that we forgot to mention when we talked about Spurs. Delhi Ali is going to be banned for the first game. Ah, uh, yes. We, uh, we, did, you, did you know about this story? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was for a, a social media post, which in the end was not deemed racist, but he was uh, suspended a week for not thinking it through properly because it could be construed as racist, which I feel yes. like they just, they let him off essentially. But either way, Delia Lee is going to be banned for one game. He won't play in that first game back for Spurs. Good news for Man United. 
It was confusing when it is. It was confusing when that news came out because it was a thing that happened so long ago that just took them a long time to reach a decision, or at least for that decision to become public. That for a moment I was like, he did it again. Yeah, like get it together. But no, it is not. It is the the original infraction, which yeah will lead him to be suspended. I don't know if he would have even played in that game with Spurs back to full fitness, but he was a performer that Mourinho did seem to come to rely upon and trust. So that could be a blow to them. But we'll see what happens. When Harry Kane was fit, Delhi Ali finally had a perfect position in a Mourinho 4-2-3-1 playing underneath yep. Harry Kane where he could sometimes join the other centre midfielders but he could also like play off of Harry Kane knockdowns it was the absolute perfect position for Deli Ali. so I'm kind of sad I won't get to see it um, on Friday but there's plenty of games to come soon after that and maybe he shouldn't have quote in the FA's words shared a video that depicted an unacceptable racist stereotype in a misguided attempt at humour unquote yeah so racist I mean, he was very quick to point out that that doesn't officially count as racist, but it's really semantics, Deli Ali. It's really some semantics. <laughs> um, All right. And on that note, semantics seems a, a good note to move on. Okay. Any more teams you want to talk about or do you want to get into the, uh, the quick fire questions? I think I've made it clear I want to get to the questions. <laughs> okay. All right. Quick fire questions. We have about seven or eight. Yeah. Um, first one is from Gavin Cole. What yeah. players are you most looking forward to watching again? Mm-hmm. Weirdly, the number one name on my list, despite being a Man United fan, is Roberto Firmino. Uh, Roberto Firmino is one, we've talked about him a little bit, you and I, just talking about him. But he's a player who, like, he does so much for that Liverpool team, not just in terms of scoring goals. If anything, scoring goals is the thing that, like, is a nice part of his game, but not what I think makes him so valuable to Jurgen Klopp. It's his movement, it's his vision, it's breaking lines, it's finding space. He does so much for that team that I think it's easy to overlook his importance, uh, but tends to be a player that when you rewatch, you see him doing a lot of stuff that maybe you missed live. And that's the sort of player that I enjoy. And it's the sort of player that we enjoy breaking down on the Total Soccer Show. So I'm looking forward to Bruno Fernandes because I was enjoying watching his creativity yep. for Man United. Um, obviously, Adama Traore and Raul Jimenez, they are my friends at Wolves. Um, I have Traore on my list as I well. I love Traore's dribbling. Um, I love just Jimenez, Jimenez's pacey threat and quick turns. And I mentioned him earlier, but I'm looking forward to seeing Mesut Ozil in the Mikel Arteta system. I think we'll see the best of Mesut Ozil. So those are my three. Those are the three that came to mind first. I, so I had Roberto, Roberto Firmino, as I said. I had Adama Traore on my short list. Uh, and then I had three more players. Paul Pogba, just because, as I said earlier, Paul Pogba, when he is on his day, is a player unlike anyone I can think of because he has the technique, he has the technical ability. The vision is incredible to hit those like 60-yard vertical balls onto the feet of, of a striker, like inch-perfect passes. And then we've seen him do it. He can just body people while possessing the ball. I've yeah. seen him hold off two different people and then lay it off to somebody for an assist. And those sort of moments are why Paul Pogba is so special and why he's such an electrifying player and speaking of electrifying players I have Trent Alexander-Arnold and Andy Robertson because the bombing forward the laser crossing the strange sort of is it a shot or is it a cross that you get every now and then but the distribution from them the defensive work the fight the Andy Robertson leaving in an elbow leaving in a stud those sorts of moments as well they make them really fun to watch I forgot that Robertson and TAA was sort of one of the pleasures of watching Liverpool yeah Mm -hmm. absolutely I'm with I'm with you on that um, I want to add uh, one more to the list. Oh, the name just... Uh, do you know I've just thought of a player and then forgotten that, who it was that I was excited about? Never mind. Maybe <laughs> maybe we can come back to it. Uh, uh, it's worth noting that we're well over an hour and a half, I think, yeah. at this point. So oh, that probably factors into that. I remembered. We didn't mention him when we were talking Chelsea. Kovacic has been in magnificent mm-hmm. form this year. I'm looking forward to watching Kovacic back in action. 
Mm-hmm. He would be one of those midfielders I was talking about when I realized how good their midfield yep. is now. Stack, stack, stacked. Next yep, question yep, yep. is from Colin Reed. Colin Reed says, is there any team, or ask, sorry, is there any team in the Premier League that plays similarly to Atletico Madrid? I could only think of one, Taylor. I'm interested to hear what I, you have to say. I have an answer, but this feels like one. This feels like a Daryl kind of stickler question to me. Of like, will they actually do it this way and this way? So I feel like you have a very precise answer, and I want to hear your answer first before I tell you mine. Mine's Burnley. It's not Mine is Burnley as well. Okay, yeah. It's not identical. <laughs> yeah. It's very different. <laughs> yeah. But it is a sort it's based on having a very tight four four two that mm-hmm. sits in a low block and doesn't give you any space to do anything. So that's yeah. the that's pretty much the closest thing to Atletico Madrid in the Premier League, and it's Burnley. Yeah, see, that that was where I was going with it as well. But Daryl is always really good about spotting that, like, well, actually, but see, Atletico have this one player that can do this, and Leicester have that one player, or Bright- Brighton have that one player. So I was ready for that level of nuance. But I agree with yeah. you that from a rough standpoint, the sitting in, causing problems, being very, very defensively disciplined, and you can tell that they have drilled and drilled and drilled, and then you can attack when you want. I mean, the key word is similarly, not identically. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Next question comes mm-hmm. from Randy Morgan. Which player who got healthy during the break will have the biggest impact? I think it's probably Harry Kane. Uh, yes. I, I think if, if Tottenham are going to turn it around, if they are going to have a strong finish to the season, maybe challenge for the Champions League places or the Europa League places, uh, then I think it's Harry Kane coming back and doing the Harry Kane things from bringing long balls down to scoring important goals to linking up really well with, I mean, with uh, Son Heung-min or Deli Ali or whomever else it is. Harry Kane, I think, is number one in that spot. For yeah, because he was just the most missed player, right? It was just mm-hmm. obvious that Spurs were desperate without him because they didn't even have like a Urente target forward to, uh, to back him up. So yeah, Harry Kane absolutely is the uh, the player will have the biggest impact in terms of making Spurs a decent team again. Um, yep. Slow FC S L O F C asks, who benefited the most from the break? Is it Spurs, Taylor? I think it's probably Spurs. I had a toss-up between Spurs and actually Manchester United, who were, as you said, already in a decent run of form. But I think getting Marcus Rashford back, getting a fully fit Paul Pogba, and giving them some more time to get Bruno Fernandes in and amongst the team, because, again, that's another January signing. I think just getting everybody bedded in probably helps Manchester United. But bringing back four starting players and having them in the lineup for the rest of the season for Spurs is definitely the main uh, difference maker. This may be a shout for Arsenal because they get more time with Arteta. And there's maybe a shout for Aston Villa. If it is that John McGinn comes back and really does turn Villa around, and I can't can't Mm -hmm. understate how, I can't overstate how important John McGinn is to Aston Villa. No other player brings the level of energy that he does. Him coming back might be the difference between Villa being relegated and not being relegated. Um, Mm -hmm. But I guess the answer to this question is we won't know until after we see the games, right? We won't. We will not. Uh, We might be able to give uh, CJ Francis some hope. CJ asks or says, can you please give me hope and tell me there's a chance that Tottenham can finish in the Champions League places? I think we've talked a lot about Tottenham and why we think they will be stronger. The biggest one that I would remind people of is that, again, decent chance if the appeal doesn't go through or isn't, uh, if the ruling is upheld, then fifth place gets you Champions League. And you could see Spurs pipping somebody and getting in there and finishing fifth. They're in eighth right now. Here's what I'm going to say, CJ. Much like um, Lloyd Christmas's chance with Mary, there is a chance. (laughs) (laughs) That sounded real confident. Yeah. I'm telling you there's a chance. How about that? 
So it sounds like you don't think there's a realistic chance, though. It sounds like you still have some hesitations about uh, Tottenham, which I think is fair because with Jose Mourinho, I mean, there's always grounds for hesitation. There are three teams and an appeal between Spurs and the Champions League places right well, now. Well, there's that. You know what I'm saying? There are, there are just yeah. other teams who are looking to take that spot mm-hmm. and are capable of taking that spot. So there is a chance, but it's, I wouldn't call it likely. How about that? But it, mm-hmm. I'll tell you what, it's yeah. going to be enjoyable to watch them try. And I don't mean that in a... I'm not... Um, making fun of them by saying that it really will be enjoyable to watch Spurs uh, get back at it with Harry Kane trying to take that spot and it's not the end of the world if they don't get it remember that yeah yeah all right all right Um, what about J.R. Smith's question have we sort of already answered this one yeah with the latest news on Man City's Champions League ban yeah it's uh, so to remind people um, the appeal has been heard it was heard over three days June 8th 9th and 10th and we'll get the decision sometime in early July so we'll you know we'll have a few match days before we find out whether Man City are banned from the Champions League next season or not Mm mm-hmm I'll ask the next question because uh, yeah. it's addressed at you. Jacob yeah, right. says, Taylor, I'm feeling good about Bruno Pogba as a combo. Please oh, bring boy. me back to reality. I'm not, wanna, I'm not sure you happy. need to. I'm not sure you need to, Taylor. All right. I think the only, like, like I am very optimistic about Manchester United, which has not been the case for me the entire season, only because of that combination. And I... I see it working really, really well. I guess the only way it couldn't, if, I, if you want to be brought back to reality, would be that if we don't see Pogba in that first game and we continue to kind of not see him or he only gets some minutes or maybe one of them picks up another injury if Pogba is then out for the rest of the season after returning, then we do maybe have that reality check in place. Final question comes from Matt Leffler. Which teams do you think will be the most disappointing coming out of quarantine? Again, this is one of those questions where we can't really answer it because we don't know. All we can do is take our best guess, right? Yeah. I, so I have Norwich on there, which is sort of unfair to say that the like bottom team will be the most disappointing. But I think if, you, if you're looking at them and thinking they could get that bounce, they've got some quality in there. They've got games remaining against Man United, Arsenal, Chelsea, Man City. That does not make it very easy for them to pick up a bunch of points right away. So I think we could see them sort of come out and be about right where they were yeah. when the season left off. I think best case uh, for Norwich is that Todd Cantwell impresses a bunch of people and he can hand out some business cards <laughs> as well. Yes, yes. Um, and then it's a team we mentioned earlier. I still have them as being maybe not like it, like fully depressing, like they're going to free fall or anything. But I think Everton could be a little bit slow for all the reasons we mentioned from the squad sort of turnover to the new manager to the fact that they're not going to get relegated, but they're not going to be in Europe. So you could maybe have a few games where they're looking looking very happily towards that beach. <laughs> I, I actually think I've got the answer to this. Um, just based on the excitement that some fans might have been feeling over the last three months Mm -hmm. versus the current situation, I think it's Newcastle United. Yeah. So there will have been some Newcastle fans who were excited about the Saudi takeover. It is still all up in the air, right? And then the idea of that Saudi TV piracy um, where they're essentially ripping off Mm -hmm. um, being sports um, to to mess with Qatar, um, that has thrown an extra um, hurdle in front of the possible takeover. Um, and then the fact that it hasn't happened yet, that money hasn't come yet, and it might not happen, you're essentially going to see Newcastle in a holding pattern for the rest of the season. And they're mostly safe from relegation, right? They're in 13th. They got 35 points. They'll probably be fine. But it's almost impossible that they challenge for any higher spot. So they're sort of the definition of a mid-table team with really nothing to play for because they might all be replaced <laughs> if there's the Saudi takeover. Or they might just be left where they were. So it's kind of a disappointing yeah. situation to, to be in. 
Uh, and I would I would double down on that because I agree. Uh, one of the things I read uh, was making the argument that like based on advanced statistics, uh, they should be bottom of the table. They should only have 16 points. They have 19 more than what the stats suggest, which indicates that maybe they're overperforming and could come crashing back down. I don't know what crashing back down looks like because again, I think they are they are safe. We yeah. don't expect them to be in a relegation battle it means or anything 15. like that. It does, but it also then means if you're not like if you're not doing much, and maybe those Saudi owners are already uh, potential Saudi owners are caught up in a bunch of different things. Maybe that deal falls through, and then you go from Newcastle being the next superpower to hey, we still need we still need some investment, please. <laughs> all right, let's. And then Tim Ketcher is sad as we, and I don't want that. We don't want that at all, do we? Mm-hmm. Um, since we've almost mentioned every team, let's very quickly complete the sets. Um, oh boy, watch Crystal Palace because they've got Wilfred Zaha. Right? Correct. That's always worth tuning in to watch. Watch Brighton because they've got an exciting young manager in Graham Potter who has them playing um, passing football in a way that they, they didn't before, right? Brighton play some really nice football. I, I think, again, they might be one of those teams that I will pay more attention to because of the way TV times are staggered. Um, I want to support Bournemouth because I want Eddie Howe to get them out of the relegation zone um, in 18th. And I think we've already mentioned Watford briefly, but I do know Troy Deeney, who originally wasn't planning on playing. I think he is going to be involved, right? He'll be back and I think he's going to play in the Premier League. And Troy Deeney and his Brummy accent are always a pleasure to watch and hear. Yep. And especially when he levels somebody, which he does about once every two to three games. Go on, Troy. I also enjoy that too. Go on, Troy Deeney. <laughs> is that a mention for everybody then? I think so. It is. I think we very, very mentioned Burnley when talking about Atletico Madrid. But yeah, a mention is a mention. I think that counts. There we go. It's definitely time to wrap it up, right? But it's worth saying, Taylor, that we will be back on Wednesday after the Premier League kickoff, and we will be reviewing Sheffield United versus Aston Villa and Manchester City versus Arsenal. An honest, sorry, Aston Villa versus Sheffield United and Manchester City versus Arsenal. I could not be more excited. I am pumped for what I'm basically thinking of as a new Premier League season because it's been that long. A new Premier League season where things are already sort of already decided. Oh, yeah. Oh, not everything. <laughs> no, seriously, it's not all decided, right? Yes, maybe Liverpool are going to win the league quite soon, right? In the first week or so. But then the champion, the race for Champions League and Europa League spots really is pretty tight and exciting and involves Christian Pulisic and involves the team you support and involves the team I support. So I think there's going to be a lot of excitement in there for us um, and for neutral viewers. And then the relegation battle really is, it could be really tight. So there's going to be plenty to watch for in the Premier League, I think, for the rest of this season. I disagree. I think everybody who's challenging Manchester United for a Champions League spot should just give up and call it a day. Well, let's agree to disagree, but let's definitely watch the games and review as many as we can over the next couple weeks. Taylor Rockwell, thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. Right back at you, buddy. Listeners, thank you for listening, and please join us again on Wednesday um, after the first couple of Premier League games.